On episode 34 of Pixel Gaiden, we talk about six sick games. Stone Age Gamer has some new goodies. There's been a RetroPie update. We drink a couple of very brown beers. Eric talks PC gaming. Cody talks video game bias. Tim talks to Pixel Vixen. There's lots of video game sales. And Cody and Eric choke on their drinks. Welcome one and all to yet another episode of the best retro video gaming related podcast out there. Happy uh, episode 34, right? It, no, it, is it 34 already? Yeah, we're I on 34. 34. Yeah. Yeah. Happy um, February, March, April, May. <laughs> to <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> Whatever it is. Week uh, nine of shelter in place here in Elk Grove or something like that. Um, how's the inside of your house looking? Oh, it's spotless. <laughs> well, that's nice to know. Yeah, actually, my uh, my wife spends a lot of time here working from home. She also will, every little break she takes, she goes and she cleans something. So, I mean, the house oh, really? is cleaner than it's ever been. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, let's just go ahead and jump right in. Uh, we got an awesome episode lined up here. We got a uh, Cody's Corner um, talking about some of my video game biases. Mm. Uh, we've got a tea time with Tim where he's actually going to interview uh, a f- friend of the show's pixel Vixen, who is now living yeah. in Japan. And then um, you got a little something for us. What was your segment all about Eric? My segment is about PC gaming. Cause I'm back in baby. Ooh, I'm back. you must've got something. Cause you did I not did. have a PC for a while. Okay, cool, cool, yep. cool. Well, as we like to do at the beginning of the show, let's jump right into Quick questions. Quick questions. So I'm going to go ahead and start with the first quick question this time, Eric. Awesome. Um, this one's a big one, too. We just, I just went for it. I'm for the jugular. Yeah. What is the most important game, video game? Sorry, I, said, I didn't say video game on my, when I wrote it down. What is the most important video game of all time? I thought about this, and uh, lamely, I have two answers. Okay, whatever. So (laughs) I'll flip a coin for you. But the the question would have been easier to to answer, of course, if it was like, what was the most important game in a genre? But let's just talk about of all time. Yeah. So I would say the most important video game of all time, what made them super popular was Pong, the old Atari Pong. Okay. Um, because I read a I read a documentary about that, or I listened to a documentary about that, and that machine was so popular that it would crash all the time because it filled up with quarters. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think it it introduced people to what video games could potentially be, um, and specifically with making money, making money, which is important <laughs> to popularize anything, right? Um, but I think it was everybody. I think it started becoming in the zeitgeist. Is that what the, the hipsters say? I like it. It's a good word. Is that what the, the hipsters say that? 
Um, <laughs> but then the second one I think would be more of a home thing was like, I think doom was probably Ooh. the most part. Doom was probably the most important game because I remember when doom came out and I mean, everyone was talking about it. Like the people that hated it because it was so violent. And then the people, the, all the kids and people who wanted to actually play it, you know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, I, I think those are my two answers. Probably Pong and Doom are the two most important ones. Interesting. What do you think? Interesting. Well, my, my go-to answer is going to be um, something, of course, more in my generation. Um, something like Super Mario Brothers, mm-hmm. um, which is obvious because it's like the biggest private video game of all time. Um, but I'm going to go out on a limb and pick Super Mario Brothers 3. Now, Oh, wow. Yeah, well... So Super Mario Brothers was cool because it, it proved that single-screen games could be... There's more out there than that. It really stretched the scope of the imagination, if you will. But for me, Super Mario Brothers 3 is where I really fell into love with video games because they went beyond, um, you know, here's the game, here's what it does, and you go from level to level to level. And they started saying, hey, you know, there's a much better user experience to be had here if you can give the uh, the player choice. You know, you can go from this level, you can go over here, there's mini-games, there's games within games, you know, there's uh, points and items and stuff to be found all over. They made sure there were secrets throughout it. It just, it became what Nintendo did moving forward there, which was a simple game that you could play one way for a short period of time, but if you wanted to experience all of it, you could dig into it for ten times that long. And mm. I just think that's kind of become what everything is now. Um, so that's my choice. Super Mario Brothers 3. Excellent. And it's a funny thing is that's probably, uh, I just got into that within the last few years. <laughs> yeah. I remember, yeah. You, you didn't quite finish it though, right? You got, you no, got, very but close? I, got well, I got very far in it. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Cool. What was your quick so question? Quick question is, do you think steam and GOG and the like saved PC gaming? Does it prove digital downloads can work and are the future of PCs and consoles alike? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I know enough about this topic to have an opinion on it, but I, I would say no. Um, it, so first of all, I'm glad that GOG exists so I can use something besides just Steam. <laughs> right. I agree. Um, I don't know. That's a really complicated question. I I, I personally did uh, do a lot of PC gaming when I was younger, and I went away from it strictly because... Um, well, mostly because I couldn't ever make sure the game would run well on my PC until I either got a demo or bought it and tried it and it failed. Right. And I never kept up with the most recent PCs. So consoles were great because they were cheaper and everything I bought for them worked. Um, I don't think Steam fixes that. So that's well, still... you'll, you'll like my segment a lot because I talk about that exact thing. Oh, like how I jumped out of PC gaming a long time ago because it, I, I hated keeping up with the Joneses. Like, yeah. Like, all my friends would get the new 3DFX card, and I was like, I can't afford that. So yeah, but see, like, that's the issue for me, is even if I could play at lower resolution, but still play it, that would be fine. But a lot of games are like, no, you just can't play it. Right. And, like, that killed me. But um, And then does it does it prove digital downloads can work? I mean, I, I suppose yes. For a lot of people, yes. But for me, no. Um, what it proves to me is what we talk about all the time on the show, which is I will pay so much less for a digital download, um, which is why if you look at my Steam list, it's full of games that I got on sale for 90% off. I mean, right. <laughs> a ton of them. But And then if they don't work, what I do like is they do have it now where if they don't work within like 24 hours, you can press a button and say, 
you know, take it out of my account and refund my money back, it doesn't work for me. Right. So that's nice. But I'm going to say ultimately no. I think, um, you know, like Microsoft and Xbox and stuff, they're kind of going away from hardware. Everyone kind of is talking about how they don't care where their game is up anymore, you know, end up anymore. They, they're more or less going to make this one last Xbox console. console. And uh, all these other companies are trying to do online things. And, you know, we don't even have to have a video game system moving forward here for a lot of games. So we'll right. see how that works. So I guess I have a little bit, of, a little bit of a different opinion. So in 1995, I got a job at Prima Games. So they're the they were the big strategy guide publisher. Going back in and time, got, and you know, exactly 1995. So I got a job in the IT department there, and at that time, PC games came in big boxes like Nintendo cartridges like- or. Well, and they were really big boxes. They were much bigger than Nintendo cartridges. <laughs> but that was the only way you could get games. I mean, other than downloading shareware games, yeah. which is kind of like the first Doom came out. You could download it. You, you could take three hours and download Doom, right? <laughs> and I did. Yeah, exactly. Without my parents knowing. <laughs> so when you went into a store, when you went into a video game store or a... They, back then, there were stores that just had PC games in them and PCs and stuff, and the shelves were full of PC games, of big boxes of PC games. And then when consoles started to get really popular, you you started to see fewer and fewer PC games on the shelf. And now, I mean, if you go into like a Target or Walmart, there's probably like five PC games in a box. Like they, they have that one aisle of like stuff for for yeah. uh, moms and um, <laughs> like old men. Like gem, yeah. gem matching games and like, yeah. you know, 10, uh, can you find the object games? Yeah. Right. So in a way, PC gaming did die. I mean, the physical PC games, right? I mean, you can't really, it's hard to go get a PC game physically anymore. Yeah. So my, so my, I guess my question to you, you, you brought up that like, if you can get a game physically, you'll get a game physically, which I agree with on cartridge like Nintendo switch or or PlayStation or whatever. But on PC game, it really isn't much of an option anymore. You can't get no. physical PC games. So even if a big title comes out, it's not it's not really that available on in physical format. So but I think that's just that- the way everything is going because even PlayStation games and Xbox games now, if you buy a physical and you open it up, there's a code and that's it. Which right. I have not luckily bought one of those yet, but I've seen a lot of them that are like that. And right. at that point, what the heck? I mean. <laughs> Right. That just—I'd be very angry if I opened a game and and found a code inside, only, <laughs> only a code inside. Right. But. So anyway, that—that's my point. Is I saw PC gaming pretty much dead, pretty much dying and or dead, and then, then all of a sudden I heard about Steam and GOG, and now you could there was a place where you could actually go, a central place where you could download, and yeah. so I I actually think it kind of did save everything. Yeah, I mean, what I really like about the services is being able to play demos. And try yep. it and see if it works. And then if it doesn't work, I won't buy the game. And also, um, you know, I, I have a lot of those games for a long time. I was using Abandonware sites to play old old DOS games and stuff. And now, specifically with good old games, I love to, you know, throw the... Whoever owns the games at this point, you know, a few bucks and, and download them, have them in a nice shell. So, I mean, there's something right. of value to that for me, too. But same thing. I'm not going to go spend 20 bucks on something that I can't hold. But our t- I think our listeners are tired of hearing me talk about that, so... <laughs> <laughs> I think once an episode that comes up, 
How can people get a hold of us, Eric? Let me tell you the ways, the, the many <laughs> Show ways. Show me the way. So, if you, need to, if you need to come check out what we got going on, you're going to go to <laughs> pixelguide.com. Check out our goods. Exactly. <laughs> Don't look the gift horse in the mouth. Um, pixelguide.com, you, you say? That's right. If you want to check us out on Twitter. Oh, well, yeah, let me back that up. Pixelguide.com. If you want to check us out on Twitter, our official uh, Twitter account for Pixel Guiden is at pixel underscore Guiden. For me, you can reach me at at duh project, at D-U-H project. For Cody, you can reach him at odd, at oddball, O-D-D-B-A-1149. You know it. And for our buddy Tim Drew from the UK, you can reach him at at sanction, S-A-N-X-I-O-N. Please review us on iTunes or, as the hipsters call it, Apple Podcasts. So hip. Email us at podcast at pixelguiden.com, and we really love feedback, so please let us know how we're doing. You can also be a patron of the show by going to patreon.com and throwing a few bucks our way. We really appreciate it. And uh, as a little thank you, we like to go ahead and list all of our Patreons on the show, but we like to do it in our own unique way. And so I got out my random adjective generator, and this time we're getting a little funky. Oh, yeah. Those cats down at the Pixel Guiden podcast, they really know how to do it. But we couldn't do it without your help. That's why I want to thank all of you guys, starting with the Windy Tim Drew, mm-hmm. the Peaceful Jim Tessier, and the aspiring Henrik Lothal. Don't you dare forget about the nimble Gary Heather. The subsequent Dustin Newell and the super duper fly Matthew Ackerman. We wouldn't be worth a hill of beans without the wise Daniel James, the nauseating Josh Malone, and even the snobbish Eric Sandgren. That wasn't nice. I'm sorry. Also, the mysterious David Vincent. Dangerous 10-minute Amiga Retrocast and the hard David Motorlack. Lastly, we want to thank our boy, the vivacious Roy Fielding, the prickly Mr. Toast, and the coherent Team Gray all the way. Yay! Thank you again, everybody. Our patrons are awesome. Peace and love. Peace and love. <laughs> Helping us keep the lights on. All right. We get to finally get to our beer, Eric. I have, uh, my wife made me some delicious hot dogs and mac and cheese because that's what the kids are eating. Yeah. So I just downed that dry with no liquid. So I'm going to go ahead and crack open the beer you provided for us. Yes. Which is, uh, what exactly? This is an Anderson Valley Boont Amber Ale. I'm going to pour this bad boy too. And I'm going to... Whoa, 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 whoa. So you know what? I, it's a... <laughs> oh, you went crazy. Well, there's a trade-off, okay? No one can see what we're doing. That's so right. I have, to, I have to make sure the pour sounds amazing. And yeah. that means I get a whole lot of froth. <laughs> <laughs> well, cheers, my friend. Cheers. Cheers. Oh. All right. That is malty. I've only uh, suckled on the head so far. 
Oh my. <laughs> we just lost our G rating. Now we're up to PG-13. Let's see if we can reduce that. I honestly did not mean that way, Eric. I, I blame you. <laughs> I'm red. Uh, so Eric and I can see each other on Skype. So yeah. this is very personal for us. All right. So you've had this one before, I'm sure. I, I actually I haven't. I haven't mm. had this. I've had ones from uh, Anderson Valley. And I got to be honest, the couple that we've tried, I did not like. But this oh, one sounded good. This one yeah. sounded good on paper. So, so this is actually heavier than most uh, ambers I've had. Yeah, this is almost a nut brown. It's darker, um, but I can taste the caramel overtones. Yeah, it's like I said, it's almost like a nut brown ale, which I, again I love nut browns. Yeah, um, but it is lighter in body. It's got the flavor profile of a nut brown, but with a lighter body. And I really enjoy it. To be honest, I can tell you that already. There's a picture of a, I was going to say a bear, but on closer inspection in my in my dark cavernous recording room, it is part bear. Oh, it is part bear. It's a bear delope or yeah. bear a boose. It's a bear that, no, a bear those that has a, those aren't moose antlers. It can't be a boose. It's a um, elk. A belk. How about a belk? <laughs> half bear, half elk. We're going to have to figure out what 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 that creature is. That's crazy. <laughs> All right. All right. Are you good to rate already, or what do you think? I think I could rate this. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you want well, me to pick? Do you want you? Why don't you pick the? Why don't I'm gonna, you? Why don't you I'm start gonna, this one off? I want to say out of. Uh, uh, I was born in 1983, Eric. How about of, out of 83 belks? 83 belks. Go what's ahead. Your, what is you your rating? First. Out of 83 belks, I'm going to give this one a solid 70. 70. Okay. It's a, it's good. I would drink it. I would buy it. Um, but I'm not going to rave about it. It's just a good amber. It's solid beer. Good, I'm going to call it a good nut brown. I think I'll, I'll do the same. I mean, I don't want to be lame, but I'm going uh, to... I think that's about where I, where I would place it, too. Well, you're lame. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to finish our beers, and while we do that... Um, Oh, first I got to get to some errata here. Some some things I found out la- that we did wrong last month, Eric. So yeah, these are interesting to me. Uh, one is a piece of feedback, but it's also errata in my opinion. So uh, our boy Josh Malone, otherwise yeah. known as Forty Eight K Ram on yes. the Twitters, mm-hmm. uh, let us know that he, he said a bunch of fluffy good stuff, which I forgot because the insults hurt more. Um, <laughs> That's what always stands out. <laughs> It takes uh, 10 compliments to correct an insult, right? A hurt. Right. Uh, apparently, he loves all the sounds on the soundboard, except for the siren, because yeah. it, it annoyed him while driving. He kept thinking he was getting pulled over. <laughs> and, and that I happens think- to me with random music. Like, I'll be listening. There's, there's something in my mix, and the big siren comes on suddenly, and I always look in my rearview mirror and get that drop dropping feeling in your stomach. If I hear the the classic song, The Entertainer, you know, the ice cream truck song while I'm driving, I slam on the brakes and look around. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So anyways, I took it off the soundboard. I I repurposed my soundboard. So it is no longer on there, Josh. Okay, I I heard you loud and clear. We're going to get some new songs on here, including some uh, some fun ones from some of the hosts. Eric can't hear this right now, but here's one. Here's a little number from Tim. It was like, which we'll be using a lot next show. <laughs> I want to make sure you and Tim can hear the, the sound effects you guys made without knowing. Yeah. Um, a couple other things. I noticed uh, you and Tim spent like two minutes discussing a new Amiga game. Never once did you or myself catch you 
mention the name of that game. <laughs> right. And I, you guys I got thought, excited about it and you just kept going. I forgot about, I, I think I honestly forgot the name. I think Tim knew it and just didn't mention it, but I forgot the name. We're all at fault. But I thought was, I was listening to that in, in my car and I'm like, say the name guys, say the name, Cody, catch him. Someone say the name. <laughs> Anyways, right. that, that name uh, was tiny little slug. Yeah, a and new it's a Amiga great, game. It's a cool looking game. It's really neat. Oh, you haven't played it though, right? I I couldn't get it to run. Couldn't get it to run my five hundred for some reason, and it was oh, it's made okay. for the minimum specs. So hmm. I just need to do some tweaking. I bet I can get it up and running. Hmm. Cool. Um, also, I listened to your your segment with your wife where you talked about uh, Nancy Drew games. Oh, okay. And um, there was a part in there where she says they, she learned a few things from the games. Uh, she learned what a Karen was. Yes. Now, it's yep. funny because she talked for a while, like 30 seconds, without talking about what the Karen was. She just kept saying, I finally learned, you know, what a Karen was. And it was interesting because blah, blah, blah. And in my head, I'm like, dude, you don't know what a Karen is? Karens are like the annoying friend in a bunch of girls. And they're like, oh, don't be a Karen. Right. <laughs> the one that goes wants to talk to the store manager. Yeah. In my head, I'm like, ah, don't be a Karen. And she kept going. I'm like, oh, no, she's talking about like a group of rocks that like mark trails and other things. So I learned something, too. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what it is. The group but of I, rocks that mark something. Yeah. And I, and no, I, I didn't know we talked about that. Okay. Yeah, you guys did. And I uh, and I think it's actually a Kathy, right? <laughs> don't be a Kathy. <laughs> I no, don't it's know. A, <laughs> is that a Karen? I like Karen. It's a Karen. Right, I think it's stick a Karen. Yeah. And then the last thing I just have to ask you is more of a follow-up, but yes. you claimed you were going to de- destroy your son in uh, Smash Brothers. Yes. Did that happen? I so, need to know. I need you to ask me this next recording. Oh, okay. <laughs> what happened is when the pandemic things took place, my son was at his mom's house. Okay. And so we decided for his safety that he would just stay there. So I haven't really even seen Oh, Okay. So, but, but I talk to him every day and he is practicing because I've told him I've, I've reached elite status. You you weren't supposed to give that away. You're supposed to get ready, pretend (laughs) like you haven't touched it and put like fake dust on the top. So you should blow it off before you put it in. I could be like, Hey, how do you, how does this work? How does this game work? (laughs) That's awesome. But so anyway, do ask me because he's coming back Friday. So sounds good. Eric, do you know what time it is? Well, I hope it's beer time again. No, (laughs) Uh, not quite. Are we ready for? The news. Reporting the news. All right. So we got some good news here. We got some good news this month. I missed my opportunity. I should have said Huey and the Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis and the. Oh, well, I'll do that next time. Sounds good. All right. Um, I want to touch real quick on the sometimes I mention these, sometimes I don't, but on PlayStation Plus, the service I pay for every month, which gets me free games as well as yeah. online service. Uh, the last couple months have been kind of lame games, so I don't really care, but they made up for this month because there's two games I probably never would have bought, but I've been wanting. Yeah. One, one of them is City Skylines. Yep. You've heard of that one? Oh, I have it. I love it. Do you? Okay. Um, so it's like, it's like the new modern version of uh, SimCity. Basically, right? City, yeah. And in some and, ways, so much better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when did you find time to find the time to play that? I bought it uh, when it first came out, so I think it's been out three years. Yeah. I bought it back in when I had my MSI gaming laptop. I have it on Steam. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's new, yeah. new to the some of the newer systems. But so yeah. I, I uh, did download it on Steam because there was a a demo. Okay. And sure enough, proved I couldn't run it. 
it ran, but it was like three frames a second, and it was really yeah, yeah it wasn't going to work. So, guess what? It runs just fine on my PlayStation. So I'm excited to dig into that. This other one, I don't, again, I have a sick fascination with this game, and I don't even know why. Farming Simulator 2019. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't have this, and I don't know anything about it. I don't. Ha- I look at it and go, farming. Hmm. Oh my gosh! And it's. I think one. Of the, it's almost like a B movie. Like, I part of me wants to just enjoy it for the ridiculousness that it is, because these right. games sell. I mean, they make one every year. Um, right. And but then the other part of me is like, I kind of want to see if like, if, you know, you upgrade your tractor, you start with a small plot, and you sell things, and you grow, it, and you get bigger and bigger. It's almost you know, it's kind of like a almost like SimCity, but for farming, right? Right. But oh my gosh, the uh, advertisements they have for the game, the trailer. You know, this this guy pops out with a hat kind of like a trucker hat like I have on right now. And he like smirks and he opens his garage and there's this huge like uh, combine in there and he yeah. hops up into it and turns it on all of a sudden this metal music like turns on and he's like <laughs> he's he's plowing his field with like metal music. It's the most ridiculous over the top thing, but um I've been wanting to try it. And it's the it's 2019. Usually when they give a free one, it's going to be like 2017 or something. So that's the cool. newest, you know, it's got all the new players. Wait, it doesn't work that way, does it? <laughs> doesn't work that way. No, the, the popular farmers. All the popular the farmers. Superstar farmer, Jed Thompson. This guy works for Oro Wheat. But next year, <laughs> yeah. thinking it's about Miracle. By, <laughs> miracle bread. by Oro Wheat. <laughs> um, all right, so speaking of Steam and uh, PC... This mm-hmm. is pretty. If you guys do like Steam and PC and uh, have a, a machine worth playing these things on, I might do this. Even though, again, I'll probably never play any of them. Uh, and this is this is time accurate because they just released this. Square Enix and Idos Anthology was released on Steam. Um, tick, check our show information for a link. And for forty bucks, uh, you get fifty games, Eric. So I did check. I did click this link, and I didn't. It didn't come up because I was I was like, what? 50 games for 40 bucks. Yeah, absolutely. So, so maybe we need to double check that that link because I, I couldn't make it work. Yeah. Hold on. I'm typing it in right now so that I can talk about the games and then we'll make sure we fix that link before. Uh, OK, before too long here. It does go to I, Steam. I, I saw a Square Enix um, anthology and I saw an IDOS one. IDOS. But I didn't see a combo one. Okay. Actually, it's a 54 game, but a game uh, charity bundle here. All right, let me scroll down real quick and find the list of games. Um, so basically, it's got everything in there from all, basically all the Tomb Raider games, uh, all the Just Cause games, uh, the Legacy of Kane games. Wow. Um, uh, Life is Strange, Sleeping Dogs, uh, Omicron. Um even some of the old, uh, they, old, they say the Ion Storm games, but uh, do you remember Daikatana, the guy who made Doom? Yeah. Made uh, the next game that's supposed to blow everyone away, and it, it didn't, but have it's you on there. Just, have you played any of the Just Cause games? Yeah. No, I, I, I fell in love with Just Cause 2, and, and I destroyed it. You know, I played every, got every single, unlocked everything. Yeah. Um, and then I got number three, but I think I got it too soon after I did two because I got kind of burnt out on it. Yeah, we, my son and I really got into three, and it, we just had a blast playing it on Xbox. Cool. Uh, yeah. Oh, th- this was big news uh, for me. This is huge news for me. Uh, didn't seem like much at first until I dug into it. 
but uh, RetroPie, <coughs> which is the all-in-one emulation kit for uh, Raspberry Pis, their new edition 4.6 is out. With yeah. the, what, do you know what the huge thing is uh, with that, Eric? I don't know what the big killer feature is. Yes, you do. What was it? They finally have it, it released for Raspberry Pi 4. Oh, I knew that. Uh, yeah. I thought you meant that it had some kind of new feature. No, they're, well, they, that's a huge feature. That's the one I've been waiting for. The last version, which was like 4.4 or something, I don't know, did not support retro uh, or Raspberry Pi 4. Gotcha. So this awesome new uh, Raspberry Pi 4 is now in my shopping cart, ready to come to my house so I can put this on there. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. Are you going to put it in the Pi Wedge? I don't know. No, the Pi Wedge is purely for uh, Pico 8 okay. at this at this point. So I'm not sure how I'm going to use it yet. My, originally, my goal was to put it in my um, full-size, arc, or my either my three-quarter scale Arcade 1-Up cabinet so I can play like much more arcade games with this extra speed of that thing. But then I also have my vertical one, my vertical arcade cabinet where the screen goes vertical. And uh, when you flip the whole screen vertical like that, the old Raspberry Pi 2 and 3 can't play, you know, a lot of even the 90s games that are vertical. So I was hoping the 4 had the power to do that. But we'll see. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I, I think I'm going to... I'll probably download it and give it a shot. I, I've i been trying to squeeze as much out of that Pi Wedge, which we'll talk about later. Um, but uh, I think I'll give that a roll. I think... I, I mean, I've, I've been looking forward to that, too. Yeah. Um, man, I'm front loading the news here today. Okay. Uh, this one is also huge. There's a lot of big news. Not a whole, not, it's not quantity, it's quality today, Eric. That's right. Um, so Retro HQ, uh, this is the guy, or should I say these are the guys? It's a, it's a, it's a guy. This is the guy that, uh, made my Neo Geo Pocket, uh, SD solution. So I can play all the games that exist on my Neo Geo Pocket. Uh, he's yeah. also the one that makes the new Atari Lynx. SD solution, and he's also the one that uh, is made, but only was able to physically make a few of the Atari Jaguar SD solution, which I really want. Right. But what's huge is he has teamed up. Uh, he mentioned for uh, you know a few months ago that he was looking for somebody to produce the actual product so he can keep innovating. And he, and at least in America, is working with Stone Age Gamer, which is my emulation device, you know, retailer of choice. Yeah, that's so awesome. I'm, that's, I'm, that's really good news because I that's I've been I I'm still I'm eyeing a couple things on Stone Age Gamer right now to buy here within the next couple of months. So I'm that's pretty neat. Can you see my screen yet? I have. I can't see it. Yep. Okay. Cool. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, boom, boom. So if you go right now and go on StoneAgeGamer.com, go to EverDrive slash Flash, mm-hmm. uh, you'll now see the Neo Geo Pocket Color is there and for sale. And uh, if my computer will hurry up, you'll see that it comes in three different labels. One is based off of the, just kind of the style of the Neo Geo Pocket Color. One is based off the uh, Neo Geo MVS, and one is based off the AGS. So the home and arcade versions of the Neo Geo hardware, uh, it's not popping up here. So, but just trust me, they were... Oh, I saw saw those. Okay. So I... I, I wonder if they're still all available, because I think those two aren't even showing, period. I don't think it's slow. It's just not showing up anymore. Hmm. Yeah. So anyways, I own this device. Very cool. And I know the 
packaging and the attention to detail that Stone Age Gamer does when they take these uh, devices and you know produce them and package them in America is top notch. So right. I'm stoked and I'm really looking forward to the Jaguar one, which I confirmed with them is eventually going to be for sale at Stone Age Gamer in the future. It's just not there quite yet. That's awesome. That is good news. Great news. So this is one that um, I caught a couple weeks ago is that mode is the world's first Sega Saturn and Dreamcast optical disc emulator. Have you seen this mode capital M O D E it's all caps. Does yep. that stand for something? I, I don't mode. It, you know what it does? It, it does stand for something. It stands for mode. Something about <laughs> optical disc emulator. Oh, there you go. Multiple optical disc emulator. Yeah. There exactly. you go. Psh, yeah. Look at, look at us, man. Know. If you rub us together, you're going to start a fire. The cool thing is this one device can work in both your Dreamcast and your Sega Saturn. And it is a pure optical drive emulator. So it doesn't try to do anything else fancy. It just emulates the drive so that you can drop whatever type of disk image onto an SD card. And this thing will will run it. And I guess you can even attach an SS, uh, I'm sorry, an SSD hard drive to it. Oh, so really? it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be an SD card. It can be a hard drive that you can pop in there. So if you have a little, you know, small 128 meg or 512 meg SSD drive laying around, you can actually plug that into this and and make it work. And this so is like, made Go ahead. I was going to say this is made by uh, Terra Onion. So these are the yep. same guys that make the um uh Genesis Mega CD uh Flash device, right? Where you can play. Do I got yes, that right? The Mega CD, the Mega yeah. CD. Terranian does make that, correct? Yeah. So yeah, same, these, guys same are, these guys are kind of knocking it out of the park. Now, the price on this is a little, uh, little rough to swallow there. But same, same um, as the Mega Mega CD, they're both a little pricey. Yeah, but that this works with both consoles and can support different kinds of drives is pretty amazing. And I've heard that this thing is a snap to install. So you know how the, we put the one in the Dreamcast and it wasn't that bad to install. And this one is literally unplugging the old drive, pulling it out, popping this in. It's the same size and format. So it just fits in there and you just plug it in and you're good to go. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now and uh, it's one ninety nine ninety nine on stoneagegamer.com. Um, yeah, for that price, it's uh, it's cool that it exists. Um, I know the Saturn solution that's out there is like three hundred fifty bucks if you can find one. People are scalping it, and the uh, the original manufacturer, the guy who's you know, he's making them really slowly, so they're isn't hard to get a hold the, of. Isn't that called the Ria? The Ria. R-H-E-A? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So this is a great solution that <laughs> for that right now. I know the Dreamcast ones uh, have just kind of been they're all over eBay. They're all. Um, Knockoff copies, if you will, yeah, yeah clones. Just, just fakes, and the, and you got to admit, I mean, it works, and I'm I'm really glad I did the install on that one, but it's yep. a little clunky, right? I mean, it's it's not the easiest thing to get the SD card prepped and put new games on there. You have to use a special program to do it, and yeah, yeah, you know, so it, it's not the cleanest solution, but you can't beat the price on that one. I mean, it's dirt cheap, right? Oh, yeah. So I don't know. I if I if I get rich one of these days, I'll probably grab one of these for my Saturn. There you go. Yeah, I want I want a Saturn solution too. Oh, another thing I should mention: this also solves the problem of PAL NTSC. It's it makes everything region unlocked. Oh, okay, um, yeah, yeah. 
So it, it and it doesn't. There's no copy protection issues. It just takes care of all that. So also we have the Amico in Galaxy Purple, which is now for for pre-order at GameStop. Ooh. So on one hand, eh, GameStop, but on the other hand, that's a major retail chain and that the uh, new Intellivision Amico is going up for sale at. So that's cool. Yeah, that is cool. I saw the picture of it. I got an email with the pre-order link. Um, and I saw the picture of it. I still think the original OG wood grain one that we're getting is is going to be better. But that one is pretty. Yeah, I think, for at, like, for example, at GameStop, you can get the standard white one. I think they have the graphite black one. And this color is their exclusive color from GameStop. So okay. my guess is that all different these you know different retailers are going to have exclusive colors. So I'm not sure who's going to get that Ferrari red one, but maybe it'll be Target or something. Yeah. <laughs> Which would be awesome if you get some in Target, so... Actually, I'm looking at that purple one right now. It is neat. I mean, it's got a very cool, um, almost like a dithering effect on the purple, where it's almost like light, like purple to almost a blue color. Do you see the fading of that? Yeah, I know. So I opened your link in our notes, and it looks pretty... I mean, that, that does look sharp. I mean, that would probably be... Could be my second pick. Yeah. It's it's unique. I, I like the Ferrari red one. I actually like the white one, too, but... Um, have you heard of Creature Street? <laughs> I have not heard of it at all. Well, Animal Crossing's gotten huge, and uh, I think this game actually was has been in beta or something for a while, but it finally came out here. Um, but Creature Street is basically a parody of Animal Crossing. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I haven't played it yet. I am I'm dying to download this thing. You can go to itch.io and download it for free. Uh, people are saying, I mean, it's very adult. Uh, but instead of, you know, Animal Crossing, which is happy-go-lucky game, you're just going around kind of living your life and trading with neighbors and building things. Um, this is a grisly murder mystery. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> where you're immediately informed that the mayor has been murdered, and it was up to you to find out who done it. Um, of course he has. <laughs> uh, so anyways, it's going to apparently leave you simultaneously laughing and shaking. Um Anyways, I guess it's really gory and really obscene and um, hilarious. So, if that sounds fun to you, give uh, Creature Street a try. <laughs> it sounds interesting. <laughs> uh, there's a couple other games uh, that are coming out that they're not necessarily even retro or retro-inspired. I just like them, so I wanted to bring them up. Uh, yet another Cthulhu game, by the way, Eric. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Lots of those are coming out. I love my Cthulhu games. So I, I did finish Call of Cthulhu. I don't know if we ever talked about that on the show, but I did finish it. Oh, um, nice. So, anyways, this one's uh, Call of the Sea, and it's um, it's almost like a I guess you want to call it a walking simulator. I think it's made by some of the same people that made um, uh, what's it called? Fire. Ah, it's gonna kill me. The the game where you're out in wilderness in a Firewatch. That's what it's called. Firewatch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, that uh, one looks pretty cool too. Yeah. So, anyways, it's kind of a Firewatch-looking game, but it's Cthulhu-based, and uh, I don't know. It just looks it looks really cool to me. Um, but the other one that I also thought looks really cool is a game that came out originally on Steam, but it's been modified and made high res, and they've added things since coming out on modern consoles. Uh, have you heard of Strand Deep? Sounds familiar, but I don't think so. I don't think I've heard of it. Stranded Deep. Uh, so, again, I'm not trying to try to play video here over our Skype stream, but uh, maybe I will. Uh, 
man, this game looks cool. It's basically like you crash land near a, an island. Here you can see it on my screen. Um, and it's literally you, and you start on the little like lifeboat here, and you can see sharks swimming around you. There's your island off yeah. in the distance. And basically yeah. it's uh, find a way to survive and build things and try to get off the island. <laughs> That's it. That's pretty neat. Man, it looks cool, and uh, he's building all kinds of forts and structures and finding... There he is, gardening, finding things to uh, attack. There he goes, cutting open a hammerhead shark to make dinner. Um, I, a snake. Yeah. <laughs> I think she it looks so cool. I love games like this where they're like, here's a bunch of, like, here's an area. Uh, here's your goal. Now do whatever you want to get there. Right. Um, oh, it looks super cool. Somehow he built a helicopter. I don't know how that worked. And, uh, yeah, things get a little crazy with giant squid. That looks really cool. Yeah. Um, there's a new Perfect Dark coming. I didn't know that. Um, I just opened up your link, and I wanted to t- read yeah. a little bit more about it, but it looks pretty interesting. Yeah, did you see anything interesting on that link there? I just, I'm just i just excited that there's a new Perfect Dark coming out, because that was a great game. Um, I know how much you love your Nintendo 64. Well, the, the funny thing is Perfect Dark was another one of the very few games in there that I thought was really neat. <laughs> when I first got my N64, I, I, that was the, one of the first games I tried. Gotcha. Yeah, they made the second Perfect Dark, uh, Perfect Dark Zero, I think is what it's, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yep, and, and I, don't th- I don't think it landed right. Um, kind of like all the previous GoldenEye games didn't land right, or 007 games. That's right. Um, I have a feeling they'll 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 do well with this one, but... Another so if, if you guys haven't played Perfect Dark, it's a kind of like Goldeneye 007 on Nintendo 64, where you're a spy, um, in this case a female spy, and um, kind of using all kinds of cool gadgets. First person shooter, but with more strategy and uh, story, but not cutscenes, Eric. At least not the original. Not a lot of cutscenes, just you going through the action. Right. The funny thing is I clicked through this thing and I couldn't see... They don't have a title or anything for the new one coming out. No, I think it's more of a... Uh, people are making it. They don't have a lot of information about it yet. Oh, okay. Well, I look forward to that. I, I, I did buy Perfect Dark Zero. I don't remember much about it. I think I still have it somewhere. That, it's on the Xbox 360. Oh, okay. Um, but I don't I don't remember much about it. It was, it was a long time ago. I, over 10 years ago, I bought it. Oh wow! Yeah, it's been that long. Okay. Yep. So the my next new news item is Raid Over Moscow. Have you ever played that? Um, I've played. I know you loved Raid Over Bungling Bay. Is that similar, or is it just name name only? That's Raid, yeah, that's Raid on Bungling Bay. No, it's, it's oh, okay. completely different. <laughs> it's called Raid Over Moscow. Okay. Um, this was a big deal when I was a kid. I I actually bought this game. I didn't pirate it like a dirty pirate. Um, I bought, um, Raid Over Moscow. Um, it, it's a, it's a game of games. Like there's multiple different games that you do in the game to get through it. And it's basically based on cold war stuff, you know, you and the Russians. Okay. Um, but they, it it was a very, very popular game. It sold a ton on the Commodore 64. Hmm. Um, and it is coming out on the Amiga now. So somebody is just doing a port of it. And I know, Ports aren't your favorite. Dirty pirate you. with your dirty ports. That's right. Um, <laughs> but this, in, according to this news article, it is they, they had some demos of this, and it's finally arrived on the Amiga. So 
um, if, if you ever get the inkling, inkling to try it out, it looks like it has very minimum requirements for the Amiga. So it'll probably play pretty much on anything. Yep. Well, I got my um, 1200 now, so as long as I finish that puppy up, I'll be able to play it all. Yep. So anyway, Raid Over Moscow, I loved this game when I was a kid. I had friends come over my house and we'd play it together all the time. And there's just a bunch of, it's hard. The only way I can explain it really is it's, it's a game of little smaller games that you have to do, but all the games are pretty interesting and, and a lot of fun. Nice. Yep. Um, Retrobit has a new Dreamcast co- uh, controller coming out. Um, here's a picture of it here. Right, I am getting this, I'm getting this in a few weeks. Um, I, I kickstarted this. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, okay, that's why they don't have it listed for sale yet, but um, it'll be up for retail shortly as well. I just got an email about this today, earlier today, that said that they're waiting for the shipping container to arrive in the U.S. It, I mean, they're all done. So once it hits the shores and they put a slap a stamp on it, I'll be getting it. So... Yeah, that's and a I good... only ordered one, but it it looks really cool, doesn't it? It really does. Um, yeah, I mean this and that uh, retro brawler for yep. the uh, Nintendo sixty four. I, I kind of want to get one just to get one. Um, Nintendo Nintendo sixty four. I could use a better controller. The Dreamcast. I've always kind of liked the controller, but this thing just looks amazing. <laughs> I, um, so, so I do like the controller on the Dreamcast way better than the N64, obviously. And I do love the retro bra- brawler, the one for the N64, but this Dreamcast one looks so ergonomic. I mean, it looks like a PlayStation or an Xbox controller, but all the triggers and buttons, and it even takes the VMU right in the middle. Yep. So I think that if this thing feels right, once I get it, it's going to be, it's going to breathe new life into the Dreamcast for me. I mean, <laughs> it, it, I love it. It looks, it looks amazing. So, and like I said, I've been happy with the other controller I got from them. So I, I don't have any reason to think this is going to be bad. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give yours a feel and then I'll, uh, I'll probably pull the trigger on it. Both pun intended. Um, Oh, I, I got a kick out of this. You know how Lim- limited run, has been releasing all kinds of indie games. And when they first started, that was really novel that, you know, they were getting physical games. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard to get. Um, well, now they're doing limited runs of games, including Chex Quest. <laughs> what is Chex Quest? You don't know, remember Chex Quest? I don't. Oh, it's hilarious. Okay, so Chex Quest, you mentioned Doom being, uh, earlier in the episode, being the most important video game of all time. Right. Uh, this is built on the Doom engine, and it was literally a game that was given away in boxes of Czech cereal when we were kids. Well, I kind of I remember this, but I don't think I ever had got it. It's actually a really good game, but I mean, it's the Doom engine. It looks like Doom. It plays like Doom, but um, you go around collecting Czech-related items, but I mean, you're still a dude with like a laser gun shooting aliens and things. <laughs> you can yeah. see it playing here, but I mean, this was... This game was huge when we were kids because it was, first of all, it was more or less free. Um, And it was like a full-fledged Doom game, but our parents didn't mind if we played it because there was no blood and death of aliens. I guess the aliens kind of disappear in some array of plasma when you shoot them here, but... Anyway, that's funny. You can see it the, looks pretty cool. Same. With, so what's know. going on with this? Are they making it again? Oh, they're going to release release yeah. it a physical copy. Yeah. Well, not here. Let me pull it up. Limited. Oh, I'm going to do this wrong. I get all excited, and I can't type. 
Ah, whatever. Limited run games. Um, where's Check's Quest? There it is. Check's Quest pre-orders. It closes May 17th. So if you just listen to us here today, you got two days to order your Check's Quest game. Right. So it's a full-on, just like we were talking about, big box edition. And it's a pre-order, so you don't have to fight for it. You'll get it. Um, you can see here's a big box with a big old Check's Quest guy on there. <laughs> and it, it comes with like posters and a CD and a manual, um, some kind of reversible poster, and then the game. It is a the PC Chex game. Quest, the Check's Quest guy has bigger muscles than I do. He's got he has he has a, has a bigger ridges. The body, the body of a serial piece. <laughs> There's a serial killer joke in there somewhere. But thirty nine ninety nine, which actually isn't terrible. No. Um, Unless you want the Warrior Edition, which is one hundred and forty nine ninety nine. <laughs> what comes in here? Okay, you get a a, a, a t-shirt and stuff. A t-shirt, a physical representation of the gun, which is called the. I forget. It, they just said what it's called. You get kind of all kinds of little checks. Yeah, you get it comes on a floppy. It's, <laughs> it's a whole bunch of feelies, but yeah, geez, one hundred and fifty bucks. You must really love your your checks. Yeah. For that bad boy, it, it, I gotta admit, if I was of that time, of that exact time, and me and my friends played it a lot, that would be a great nostalgia injection, wouldn't it? I mean, I just love when we're like, like, "Oh man, that game's so good because it was free." Anyways, I'm gonna go spend 150 bucks on it now. Right. Crazy times. Um, we talked about uh, Juan Martinez's new Amstrad game coming out, Kitsune's Curse. Yeah. I it, came make sure, out. it did come out. I just want to make sure everyone knew it came out. Um, I think Tim had played it ahead of time last time, but now it's officially out. I played it. I loaded it up on my Amstrad. Ah, I see what you say. You're your mister. Your mister. The Mr. FPGA, but I played it on there. It plays perfectly, and it it's a lot of fun. There's a very cool twist, like a cool mechanic to the game. So when you get to play it, you'll... Uh, You'll see what I'm talking about. I won't give too much away, but Ooh. it's it's a blast. I think Tim went over it last time, but yeah, I'm sure he did. <laughs> <laughs> so when you play it on the on the Mister, what controller do you use? Uh, well, right now the one I have hooked up to it, which is my um, it's this one. Let me see if I can do this without banging the microphone here. It's my little Genesis wired six button. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a USB, so it plugs right in the Mister, and I can map all the buttons. Uh, it's uh, this is a great controller. I love it. So yeah. I think that's for sale on um, uh, Stone Age Gamer as well. Oh, um, yeah. Also, this is this was neat. So I guess there's a number of Sega Dreamcast games that are famous for not being ever released, but people knew they were in production and they're out there. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite games of all time, probably in my top five, was a PC game called Heroes of Might and Magic 3. I'm sure I've bugged you about it a bunch already. Right. And they just found the... Uh, the game they found here is a Magic Three for the Dreamcast, and it is now released and out there, and you can download it and uh, burn it and play it in your Dreamcast. Oh, I want to check that out. I really, I, I, I think I dabbled in that game way back in the day. So, um, yeah, I, it's I, interesting. I, there were a ton of games on the Dreamcast that didn't that never got released, like Propeller Arena and a bunch of other ones that are such these aren't throwaway games these aren't garbage games these are fantastic games that just never got released because it would have been more expensive i guess to print the discs and stuff 
Yeah, just for a variety of reasons. I think some of them, the writing was on the wall. <laughs> uh, in this case, I did a little reading on it, and I guess uh, they were all excited to do it. It was a big game on the PC, and they were going to release it. Uh, and they basically started doing it, and they basically ran out of disk space to make the full game available on there. So okay. rather than um, truncate anything, they just said, "Now we're not going to release it then. Um, what if they didn't want, They could have just made a multi-disc game. There were multi-disc Dreamcast games. Uh, yeah, they could have. I mean, I, would, I, I assume they could have. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, here it is. And check the link, and you can download it and burn it. And I am absolutely going to pop that onto my SD card. When I get that new controller, maybe that'll be the first game I try out. <laughs> that would be fun. It's not like an action-heavy game. It doesn't. You could you could use the keyboard with that; and it'd work just fine. But right. Uh, so oh, we, you got this one. Yeah. Did you see this uh, Shadow of the Beast? I did. A proof of concept for the Intellivision. I never thought I'd say that. Right. Shadow of the Beast on Intellivision. Did you see the? Uh, have you looked at this? I did. Yeah. I'm looking at a picture of it right now. That's a pretty incredible. I mean, l- listen, it doesn't look, you know, it doesn't look like the uh, the Amiga. See my video? Yeah. But look at that. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty, that's they even pretty got the, cool. Some, right? They actually have some parallax. It's just that one little line in the middle of the screen, but they got some parallax in there, too. We got a little thin parallax scrolling thing there, but um, choo, choo. it's Shadow of the Beast. I mean, choo, choo. if you think about it, this is all Shadow of the Beast is. Yeah, you Shadow of the Beast is a right. terrible. it's a terrible game. Yeah, it is, but it's, uh, it was a graphical marvel, which is people would just want to get it just so they could show off their Amigas. Um, I think that's interesting, though. Somebody just decided to spend their time trying to bring a copy of it to Intellivision. Well, there's been a lot of that. Like, here's one with Super Mario Brothers on the Intellivision. Um, yeah. And then someone else is doing Castlevania right now. Um, and and look at this Super, Super Mario. It looks good. Yeah. That really makes me want to get the flash cart, but uh, they're currently not in production. He does runs of them, and yeah. uh, it's the LTO flash cart. I really, really want to get that, but um, there's only one solution, and he's not making them regularly. So maybe he can get a deal with a Stone Age gamer to get them produced m- more often here. That would be cool because I would get one too, just to, so I could play these little demos and um, and proof of concept games. So anyway, the next one here is the Chaos Engine. Did you ever play that on the Amiga? That I did, and I played the, on the Chaos Engine. Is one of my favorite, one of my go-to games on the Amiga. Definitely top ten games. I also played, it, I played on it on the Genesis, uh, Soldier of Fortune. Soldier of Fortune, yeah, which is so <laughs> silly that they changed the name here in the U.S. It makes no sense at all, and it didn't Another, work because no one I knew ever knew of that game. No, they made such questionable choices over at Sega. <laughs> I don't know if Sega is the one who did that, but. Um, but they're bringing a copy. I don't know if you checked this link out, but they're bringing um, a port. They have a teaser for the chaos for a Chaos Engine sixty four, a port of the to the Commodore sixty four. But if you look at the gameplay, it actually looks really, really good. I mean, this is going to be a fun one to play because I mean, we 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 were playing Fix It Felix Junior on the C sixty four, and it looks so good. We'll I mean, talk about that more next episode, but yeah, it really does. Yeah, um, but this Chaos Engine, if they finish this, um, it, it's pretty much... Uh, I mean, it looks pretty good for a Commodore 64 game. It very does. It, it looks very... I don't know if you ever played Jurassic Park on the NES. Yeah, um, I have. Yeah, it looks a lot like that to me, the top-down section, which is actually... I love the first level of that game, and then it gets kind of weird. Yeah. But if they keep it to that quality, that would be great. Yeah. And... 
so the PlayStation Classic, of which many people were not huge fans, um, has a new operating system, whatever you want to call it, called Project Eris. Um, and I tried to read. I tried to read up on this a little, based from your link before the show, but I can't see what the difference is between this and. What, so, what, so there's a number of things I didn't like read too far into here. Uh, but okay, it basically adds a ton more features. You can do a ton more stuff with it. Uh, they're already up to, I guess, nine point five. No, they're, no, they're at one point now. So that's okay. it's been made public. Um, but yeah, if you were using Bleem Sync or or Auto Bleem like we were, this is kind of the next um, thing to do. Uh, I think the big one for me is it now has drag and drop game transfer support. And so you can just drop them in there rather than doing that weird program to make it all work. Um, That's handy. And then uh, all kinds of stuff. RetroArch is built into it, so you can do, use it for emulation. Um, better file support, so you can use more than just FAT32. You can use other... I mean, it's just a bunch of stuff that you know happens probably behind the scenes that you don't know until it, it goes wrong on you. Well, right. they're, now they're fixed. So I honestly don't know if I'll go back and change mine because I've already kind of got it working the way I want it with most of the games I want on it. Um, but you can create your own custom experience by adding your own emulators, themes, ports, and mods. So I'm going to look, I'm going to, I'm going to look into it. Cause I mean, I like to, I like to stay up on the latest and greatest. And if it, if I can put this on there without it, wiping my games that I already have on there, that would, I would do it. Be a hacker. Go hack. Yeah. Um, cool. I still haven't done, uh, I'm looking on here. I still haven't done project lunar on my Genesis yet. Right. That's a good one, too. The main reason I want that is just so I can play uh, CD games. Because yeah. right now I don't have a way to do that outside of, you know, emulating on a Raspberry Pi or a computer, which I don't... I mean, I guess this is the same thing, but I don't want to do it, that. It does the CD games actually really well, too. Good. You got the last bit of news here, Eric. Neo Geo Mini International Edition. 30 bucks on Amazon. Only $30? Now, didn't you say you were going to jump in on this? Uh-oh. What are you talking about, Eric? Yeah. I'm holding it right here, so we'll, we'll go over that in uh, catching up next episode. But I did pick one up, and I picked it up. Uh, I paid 50 bucks because I wanted one of the controllers, um, which, to be honest, the controller is the best part of this whole thing. I think the controller is pretty cool. Right. But there we go. That's news. That's it. I want to invite our listeners to send us news articles throughout the month and yeah. we can we'll mention you by name and you don't need to be a patron subscriber just um if there's something that you guys find interesting news to you like we always say it doesn't have to be breaking news but if it's news to us we, we want to talk about it so if it's news to you tell us about it um yeah you know like city definitely Sky. doesn't have to be new brand new news because i find that i miss a lot of stuff anyway two <laughs> three six months old so send it on in. Absolutely. All right, Eric. Well, that is the end of the news, which means we're on to some of our segments, starting with, uh, I think we're, we're going to hear from you first, Eric. Oh, excellent. I am back with this month's Eric's Take, where I reveal that I am back into PC gaming after taking a year off. First, I'd like to go back into my PC gaming history a little bit and what led me to jump back in. 
I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about my early PC gaming life. Um, as I, you, as I've said many times on this podcast, I've been to, into computer gaming since my VIC 20 back in 1983, and throughout the years, you can imagine I've had multiple gaming setups and computers. Um, I recall the early DOS days with my 46 DX2 and a Pentium-based Windows 95 system with early 3D cards and sound blasters and all that kind of neat stuff. A few titles I remember fondly from back in that time era was Scorched Earth on DOS, TIE Fighter, Command and Conquer, Age of Empires, uh, Interstate 76. Uh, There's just so many great, great PC games. And that was back in the, the days of... Uh, big titles, but nowadays you have such a great indie scene. There were so many, and I really enjoyed those years very much. And don't even get me started on the early 90s and early 2000s, where I participated in LAN parties at work and friends' houses where we would carry our PCs over and uh, just so much fun. I mean, it was it was local multiplayer um, gaming at its very best. Uh, such, uh, it's just even hard to explain that kind of that time era and what was going on. However, there came a time when I was spending way too much on PC upgrades to kind of keep up with the Joneses. And I'd say this was probably right around 2001. My friends were getting the latest and greatest video cards and processors, and they were really expensive. And I did not have the greatest jobs back then, so. I decided to get out of the arms race and buy an Xbox 360 at launch. And I have to say, the 360 was one of my all-time favorite consoles. Uh, It was the first one I played over the internet quite a bit, multiplayer. Um, To this day, it's the console I have the largest physical library. Um, I've never regretted buying the Xbox 360. It was a fantastic machine. Uh, I I played that thing for over a decade. I was having fun playing games, and it kept me from spending money on hardware for over a decade. And then there came a time around 2014 or so when I was in the market for a new laptop for work and came across a deal on an MSI gaming laptop. And so I bought it and soon opened a GOG account and Steam account, and it uh, it was on. Uh, it was I hadn't gone into the foray of digital downloads, but I kind of embraced it and accumulated a ton of games and got back into and and then got back into PC gaming. And I was Im- impressed with the diverse catalog of indie games the most, I mean cheap indie games uh, that would go on sale. And I, I just recall a few uh Fistful of Gun, Crimson Clover, which is a great shmup, uh Nuclear Throne, uh Counter-Strike, Broforce, uh, so many, so many indie games, and that's really what was my bread and butter. I didn't buy too many really big, big name titles, uh, but um, basically that got me back into PC gaming, and I loved it for a few years. Um, maybe it was more like maybe a year and a half or so, and then my gaming, my MSI gaming laptop, uh, gave up the ghost. It would overheat and shut off after about five minutes. And I sent it back to MSI multiple times to get it repaired, but it would continue to have problems. Uh, I even tried to fix it myself, took it apart, just could not figure it out. I just think it was overall a, maybe a bad processor. Um, but what I did was I didn't want to spend any money on it, so I stopped playing PC games. 
and it wasn't too bad as as now I started working on this podcast and um so I played a ton of retro games on old consoles and uh basically kept busy um but that brings us to today and I've been reading a lot about the PS5 and the new Xbox coming out and frankly I haven't been really excited about it uh maybe it's the estimated price or lack of exclusive games that interest me but overall I think it was more to do with the fact that I I've missed PC gaming for various reasons I think it was the cheap indie games even though the switch kind of filled that in I missed playing with a keyboard certain types of games uh, like uh, first person shooters um, but I knew I wanted back in and also my son has been showing interest in tinkering with the with the latest hardware and building a gaming PC. Um, so, you know, I, back then I bought him a midline gaming laptop a couple years ago, but he really wanted to get into the hardware and nuts and bolts. So basically I thought about it for quite a while. I didn't rush into it. Um, It's where it's nice to have the job that I do. Uh, so occasionally I'll get a credit from Dell for selling servers to clients. And um, I ended up with a nice uh, credit of about $800 that I could spend at Dell. And I looked into their refurbished PCs and found that they occasionally would have great deals on gaming PCs for around $900. Uh, since well, about $900 to $1,000. And once I had the credit, I waited until a nice Dell G5 desktop came up, refurbished. It has a, had a ninth, ninth generation i7, 16 gigs of RAM, SSD hard drive, pretty nice NVIDIA graphics card. So I pulled the trigger on that, and I only spent about $150 out of pocket. And this is by far the fastest PC I've owned, and it plays my Steam library like a dream. I also found it interesting that the first game I set up after Steam was installed was Counter-Strike Global Offensive. And I, I, I that was a big surprise to me because um, first-person shooters really aren't my jam, but I found that I logged over 65 hours of that game and I really enjoyed it. So that was the first one I installed. Um, I, I, the funny thing is I don't, I rarely play uh, Counter-Strike online because I don't want a bunch of snot-nosed kids talking about my mother. Uh, but I did miss it. So I loaded that up and played it. It was awesome. Um, same with Tom Clancy's uh, Vegas 2. I love that game. Very tactical first-person per first shooter game. Uh, just really fun game. So this new PC is basically just revitalizing my uh, PC gaming interest. And I'm starting to dive into all the great indie games that I've missed over the last couple of years. So what does this mean about my gaming future? Well, I won't go as far as to say that I won't be buying into the next console generation, but it definitely won't be right out of the gate. Um, I have a solid gaming PC now, and my Switch is still going strong. I mean, I'm still playing my Switch more than any other console or system. Uh, not to mention the Intellivision Amico will supposedly be out in October, and I'm really looking forward to that and getting back into local multiplayer. Uh, that should be a blast. But now I think I can hang on and get through this year without a large gaming system purchase. So anyway, thank you for joining me for this month's Eric's Take. I'll talk to you next month. Beep.
Hey guys, welcome to Cody's Corner. Uh, this month I wanted to walk you through Cody's mind for a little bit here. Um, as I was purely thinking about this uh, on my own the other day, and I'm like, you know, I want to see if anybody else is interested in hearing what my, where my mind goes and what I think about um, kind of my own take on some aspects of video gaming. Um, and so I was thinking about this the other day. There is a segment of video games that I can't quite put my finger on. I'm going to try to do that today. But I just have a bias against it. Um, I immediately think of games in this... I don't know if I want to call it a style or time period or what. But I instantly just kind of get a bad taste in my mouth. And I have no interest in playing them or trying them. And I usually push them aside. Um, So let me just touch on that really quick. So when I first got, of course, into video gaming... When I was 5 or 6 or whatever, I got my, my Nintendo Entertainment System... And it came with, of course, Duck Hunt, and it came with world-class track meet, but mainly it came with Super Mario Brothers. Now, at the time, that was just, to me, a fun game. That was the game that I enjoyed, that was uh, something to play with and have fun, and uh, it wasn't particularly mind-blowing, it wasn't um, a technical feat, it was nothing, right? It was a game. So when I was playing these games, and I shortly after that got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles right on the, on the NES... Uh, my my dad, of course, goes, hey, look, I also have this old system, this wood grain thing called Natari, you know, the 2600. And he pulled it out and he had a series of games that, you know, somebody at work had given him and uh, half the games didn't have their cartridge shell anymore. They were just the circuit board that we shoved in. And at that point, um, I started playing. I was all excited. I'm like, well, I just went from having, you know, four Nintendo games to having 20 Atari games. And, you know, I quickly played through all 20 of them in an hour, and I'm like, wow, none of these are n- anything like Mario. Um, and I remember that distinctly. And then as I kind of uh, went to other people's houses and started seeing Nintendos in other people's houses, I noticed they had games uh, like Metroid that, oh my gosh, Metroid was awesome. And um, what else did I play out there? I played uh, I played Punch-Out, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, or, or Punch-Out. And... Um, these games were just so fun and exciting and pretty and so much variation. They had different you know, worlds you can go to. And then they would also have other games that they were interested in, like Spy Hunter or Defender on the NES. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones, but those two really stuck out in my mind. And I remember playing these games with them briefly and just having no interest. To me, I'm like, these are like kind of like th- those Atari games. They're simple... Uh, more or less one screen, but you kind of do the same thing, and I guess you're playing for score. I don't know how to beat the game. Um, So these games, which, of course, now I know they're kind of black box games, right? They have that whole first wave of Nintendo games uh, that happened before I got into Nintendo, and they're simple arcade ports. Now, I understand looking back now, and I think this might have something to do with it, when when I learned about Nintendo, it was video games starting off all over again because there was this crash in 1983, you know, before I was cognizant um, that had happened. And so when the Nintendo came out, you kind of had, very quickly, games that were three to seven years old, and you had brand new games. And they both kind of lived in the same world together. Um, but to me, they were good games and bad games, not old games and new games, you know? I didn't realize the whole dichotomy of the whole thing. Um, so I've always had this taste in my mouth for, for, I guess, if you want to call them classic arcade ports or just certain styles of game. Um, 
some of you guys are going to pull your hair out hearing this, but Pac-Man, to me, while cool and nostalgic looking, and it had that retro vibe and the artwork and the cabinet and everything so cool, the game itself is a memorization fest, you know? Uh, it's the same screen, doesn't change, you play for score, and that instantly doesn't appeal to me. Now, as I get older, I'm learning more and more to appreciate these games. Um, I'm trying to seek some of these out and try them, but one of the things that 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 triggered this for me actually was reading Retro Gamer Magazine, and they have like a five-page layout of Spy Hunter, and instantly when I thought, saw Spy Hunter, my mind just uh, dropped and just went, Bleh, Spy Hunter. But I honestly couldn't tell you much about it other than it's a vertical scrolling driving game where you can shoot some things, and in my mind I remember crashing a bunch and it just being hard and no point, and if you're lucky enough to pass the first level, the next level looks just like it. So, obviously a lot of people don't feel the same way I do about that game, but why is that? And I think I, I kind of answered it for myself there. Um, I entered at this point where there was two different worlds kind of diverging with very different, I don't want to say audiences, uh, but you know, if you weren't accustomed to those pre-1983 games, and then you start up Nintendo, kind of when I did, 86, 87, they, they existed at the same time. Um, so some other games that kind of fall into this camp for me are Donkey Kong. Um, again, another huge arcade classic that I only imagine that first screen. I always kind of forget there's other screens after that. I know it now, but for the longest time, that was Donkey Kong, and... Uh, I never had an interest in playing it because it looked like a one-sided game. Um, we recently played a bunch of a new kind of Donkey Kong-ish game, which is the new Commodore 64 release of Fix-It Felix Jr. And oh my gosh, even though it is a quote-unquote one-sided game, I love it. And a big part of the reason I'm loving it is I realize now it's not about beating the game. It's about uh, playing for scores. It's about getting better. It's about uh, finding solutions, you know, a game-style ways to play the game, solutions for collecting the most points before you move to the next level, all kinds of things that make it more interesting. Uh, I still don't like Defender. <laughs> not going to lie about that one. Um, here's another hot take. Uh, the Galaga and Galaxian games. I've never gelled with them. They are kind of one-trick ponies to me, and it's, it becomes one of those games where you play as hard as you can. If you mess up once, you kind of lost it. You know, if you get to that challenge um, score stage and you do hit 19 instead of 20 of the, the aliens, then why keep playing? Um, Frogger is a game I actually really have enjoyed. Now, that one definitely bucks the trend, but for no real reason other than I think I... It was probably one of the first classic arcade games that I kind of clicked with and realized, oh, you know what? Even though it's a single kind of purpose game, a single screen game, it doesn't change a whole lot. The, the score mechanic clicked for me. But when I was a kid, yeah, Frogger was another one of those games. Now, <clears throat> there were some old games back then that for whatever reason, um, I keep saying buck the trend, but they were designed in a way that still appealed to me, even though they were, for example, Atari 2600 games or you know classic arcade games. Um, Pitfall, well, it's not an arcade game. Pitfall is a game where you move from left to right. You had two different levels, Um Every time you got the, to the edge of a screen, a new kind of scenario showed up. Now you've got uh, a pond in the way with alligators in it, or now you've got quicksand that moves in and out, and now you've got a, a vine to hang from. Um, and if I had known about Pitfall 2 when I was a kid, my goodness, that game is all over the place. 
I would have loved it, and uh, it would have blown my mind. I loved um, Pac-Man Jr. If you haven't played that, I've talked about it a lot on the show. It's Pac-Man, but with a bunch of different mazes, and it's like multiple screens tall, so it's all kinds of things happening, more interest uh, going on there. And I felt like if I got to the last screen and beat it, that was beating the game for me. I think this is a big part of why the Intellivision is clicking with me so well nowadays is because I remember these kind of, I'm going to call them stunted or stilted Atari 2600 games of the past that I grew up with. And although I have fond memories of them, I never loved a lot of the games. Whereas the Intellivision, even though the graphics aren't much better, there's so much more going on with a lot of the games, in large part because they have this massive button scheme. And I kind of wish back in the day that that is the system that I started with. Um, You know, the NES pales in comparison as far as strategy and, uh, you know, certain things with some of these games because of the, you know, A, B button layout compared to all these different maneuvers and things you have to juggle in your head with some of these television games. So I wonder if you guys have any similar bias for any reason, if it's a genre, a game, or something that you see in a game that instantly just makes you subconsciously say no. Um, you know, what are your asteroids and defenders and cuberts? Um, do you guys have that kind of bias as well, or am I just crazy and wrong in so many ways? All right, guys, I appreciate it. Catch you next time. Welcome to this month's Tea Time with Tim. Coming up this month, we have an interview with a very good friend of mine and who some of you will know. It's Vicky Lamburn, also known as Vicky Pixel Vixen. Vicky has a very successful YouTube channel that is an outlet for her many retro and anime-inspired artistic talents. In the past, she has been a photographer and a web designer. Having recently given up her day job here in the UK, she has embarked on a new life in Japan to teach English as a day job and then use the sights and sounds of Japan as a new muse for her creative passions. Vicky is well known for her pixel art creations. However, I wanted to talk more to Vicky about herself, her gaming history and her journey to Japan and the experiences so far. When Vicky and myself get together to chat, we talk about all sorts of things. So this one is a bit of a long one. So apologies for this, but I hope you will enjoy hearing from Vicky. At the end of the interview, I will give you all the details of her YouTube channel and how you can follow her. Hi Vicky, welcome to the podcast. And how are you today? Yeah, very well, thanks Tim. Thanks for having me on uh, the podcast. A uh, real pleasure to be here. <laughs> so how are things with you? Yeah, good. Yeah, we've uh, had a really hot day here and uh, I've been enjoying it down uh, the beach for a little bit. So just to uh, explain to people, where are you at the moment then? Uh, I'm in a little place called Japan. Uh, Some of you may have heard of it. Um, But uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, as you can see, uh, or here rather, uh, I'm clearly obviously not Japanese, but uh, I I moved here recently. So and uh, yeah, just settling into a new life. So just to explain, just for context, um, we're obviously recording this for the podcast, but for the sake of recording, we're actually um, on Skype so Vicky can, and I can see each other. So hi, Vicky. Hey there, Tim. <laughs> yeah. So if you, if I can say I can see you, then that would make some sense. Yeah. So. <laughs> podcast okay. are hard of seeing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for those that don't really know Vicky very well, 
Um, let's have a very quick introduction. So you can find Vicky on Twitter. So her Twitter handle is at La Pixel Vixen. Vicky does some awesome anime artwork and also lots of pixel artwork as well. Uh, Vicky specializes a lot in Amiga artwork. Do you want to just give us a, a quick introduction of yourself? Well, uh, yeah, where do you begin? So, um, yeah, I've I've been using sort of um, what are now considered retro systems since a young age. So I don't know exactly what age from, but my guess is around about from the age of eight years old. Yeah, I, I was very much uh, into creating pixel-based artwork up until about 1999, year 2000. And then in the last couple of years, I've got back into it in uh, a big way, uh, along with uh, the gaming side of things. So that's kind of the immediate sort of history with regards to that, I guess. <laughs> okay, so you grew up in the UK, that's right, isn't it? Yes, only recently moved to Japan. So this is the first time I've actually uh, officially lived somewhere else abroad. Um, so yes, but I grew up in the UK. <laughs> Where? So you, you kind of, your first introduction to gaming was on what platform? What did you start out off out on? My, my first computer was a Commodore 64. Um, yes. but quality, it, quality. <laughs> You've got to start with go, go, start start out as you mean to go on with these yeah. things, I think. So, um, but uh, I don't know whether that was the very first game system or uh, or computer or whatever I used. Uh, but my memories get a bit jumbled up going back that far. So it it could be that maybe there was a friend of mine who had a uh, an NES, um, which was quite unusual for the UK actually. Um, so, and I don't know whether that preceded me playing on a friend's Commodore 64 or not really, but my first system was the 64, so, so yeah, and that was... So can you remember what your first game was on the 64? Uh, I don't really. I mean, to, I, well, apart from obviously the packing titles. So I actually had um, two Commodore 64s. Um, the first one, um, the, the first C64 didn't actually uh, break. It was more the joystick broke. And the pack that I had was... One that came with, um, I think, International Soccer, um, Flimbo's Quest, maybe, yeah. what was that circus game called? Uh, Fiendish Freddy's. Um, Freddy, Fiendish Freddy. Something yeah. like that, wasn't yeah. it? And maybe. that was on cartridge, I think, wasn't it? It was on cartridge. I think it was basically Commodore repackaging all the unsold C64 GS stock or whatever, or the That's games uh, console system that they uh, uh, brought yeah. out. And... Um, and basically, the the, the 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 superb cheetah joystick that it came supplied with broke. Um, I think uh, on the first go on Flimbo's Quest, and I, I yeah. do recall my dad saying, "Right, we're taking it all back. We're going to get get a new one, even though it was just a joystick." To, and I remember boxed it up and it being taken back to Argos. And I think the the pack had changed then. So what I got back was the uh, Terminator 2 pack, which was... Oh, right, that nice. Yeah, yeah. so it might have been the, <laughs> one of the very last packs that they did, but it, it, yeah. it, in many respects, it wasn't... I, I, I preferred the previous cartridges because I, I think it may have had clacks, possibly, uh, on that cartridge as well. Yeah. And uh, I preferred playing clacks and Flimbo's Quest, so, but say la vie, so... <laughs> so <laughs> yes. 
Okay, so I mean, one of the one of the things we normally do is we go through some quick questions on the podcast. So one of the ones I was going to ask you, which is, what's your preference, Commodore or Sinclair, growing up in the in the nineties? So I, I guess that really answers that question. Is well, is Commodore? Did you use a, a Spectrum very much back then? Uh, only a couple of friends had them, so this would have been the very early nineties. I think, like I say, possibly around about ninety one. I think I got my first C sixty four. So some friends still had Speckies. Um, so it was only. Really at their houses I, I do remember us trying to borrow tapes from a friend who had a, a 48k and see if we could copy them and play them on our c64 but for some reason they didn't work so i guess it just goes to prove that sinclair <laughs> games are rubbish so get <laughs> 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 straight in there you know so this is it so. <laughs> Okay, so again, uh, 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 just for a bit of context, obviously Vicky and I, uh, we're we're good friends, we've known each other for a while now, Mm. so I know, we both know kind of some of our gaming preferences, but I'm going to ask a few questions here, so so Vicky, what's your favourite type of game out of shoot-em-ups or platformers? Oh, that's a toughie, but I I, I guess I'd have to go with shoot-em-ups, so uh, when I was younger, platformers would have been my my go-to but I think that was mostly just because of the shoot 'em ups that I had access to. But in in later years, I've uh, been able to enjoy good shmups. <laughs> so, what ones can you remember that you might have enjoyed back in the day? Um, so, uh, a couple that come to mind. Um, I, I'm not sure that the first one that comes to mind is actually a particularly good game. But I remember getting, I think it was Subterranea Two um uh, for the c64 it came on one of the cover tapes possibly from zap 64 or possibly commodore, commodore 4 yeah. Yeah. yeah so um so that was one that i i quite enjoyed um i seem to recall it being a little bit like um oh, now i might be getting this wrong it might be a bit like salamander where you had the bits that mm-hmm. sort of kind of grew and you had to shoot those down before you could pass through yeah. um so so yeah it, it was a bit like that and quite enjoyed that on the c64 on the amiga side of things uh probably the one that i enjoyed the most and still do is a pidia um or yeah. a pidia 2 as it likes to refer to itself on its title screen so um <laughs> but uh, uh yeah so um that was my favourite Amiga. I did play others on the Amiga, but that's the one that I enjoyed back then. And I think is still uh, still holds up to today. So, <laughs> what's your go to shoot 'em up at the moment? My go to shoot 'em up. Um, well, I, I I guess it almost falls under the game that becomes my go to. Um, oh, actually, there's a good point there. Actually, I think the one I'm playing the most at the moment is Area 88, which was released in the West as UN Squadron. Yeah. Um, it did see ports on uh, the the Amiga and I think the ST. I'm, I'm not sure if it came out in the 8 bits. Um, it, it probably did. Um, seems to vaguely recall there might be a C64 version, but um, its its uh, original title comes from the fact it's actually based off of the manga uh, Area 88, which actually makes a lot more sense uh, when you play the game um, because you think, well, who who are these characters and they're all related to that manga um but um yeah un squadron um or area 88 on the super nintendo or super famicom is a is a superb uh capcom shmup um and one of the best on on the on the super nintendo or famicom super famicom so yeah excellent that's my go-to at the moment (laughs) cool cool um so uh, another another quick question kind of f- falls in with one of our other themes that we uh, we uh, uh, cover on the podcast is uh, are you more of a beer drinker or a wine drinker um 
I, I guess out of default, the fact that I like wine, but wine doesn't like me very much is that <laughs> I tend to be more of a beer drinker these days. Um, I, I, I do really enjoy red wine, but as I say, I don't think it likes me very much. It's the, the kind of thing that leaves you in the morning feeling like I've got a cranial injury. So I, I try to uh, moderate my wine intake these days. <laughs> I'm actually the other way around. Wine sits with me a bit better than beer. So, I, But uh, I, I enjoy drinking beer more than I enjoy drinking wine these days. So it used to be mm. the other way around. But uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. that's, that's where i sit with that one and particularly on a warm day like today there's nothing better than getting in after a, a good day and a cold beer so yeah and you're i'm sure you're experiencing some of those japanese beers over there as well yeah yeah i can tell you more about that uh should you wish <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get into that in a bit um yeah okay so quick another another quick question for you um and again i probably know the answer to this one but uh yeah uh one of the eternal questions, Nintendo or Sega? Oh, that's a toughie. Um, but, I mean, oh, how, how do you answer that question? Through through the eyes of what you know now or through the eyes of what you experienced and what you are both nostalgic about and what you well, I, uh, I guess still enjoy these days? A lot of our stuff yeah. is obviously retro-inspired, so let's go from the nostalgia point of view. Uh, well, I guess because it was the first... Uh, games console uh that i owned it would have to be uh nintendo um although as I, but, but yes uh it's not me being a, a nintendo fan girl it's just uh yeah that's that was my first console was the super nintendo and therefore a nintendo for me so <laughs> yeah i mean if i if i go back to it i probably would say from a nostalgic point of view it would probably be sega for me um mm-hmm. because a lot of my uh, earlier years was with master system um and mm-hmm. then the mega drive and i had a shop and we sold a load of ton of sega stuff and we stopped the nintendo bits and pieces as well but i think mm-hmm. these days i think it's actually flipped round. um mm-hmm. definitely nintendo when i think of what i'm playing at the moment obviously with the switch um mm-hmm. and you know with with what i tend to to play when i've got stuff set up i think it's um, nintendo for me nowadays definitely is my my kind of like go-to systems um mm, oh yeah that being yeah. said i've still That's got true. a lot of sega stuff set up and i love my dreamcast <laughs> and I love my saturn um yeah but, um yeah no, that's 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 really good. Yeah, I I kind of thought you'd go the Nintendo way, but might have been a bit different if you go from a nostalgic point of view. But yeah, well, it's good. it's tricky. Yeah, I mean, more friends had Sega's uh, stuff when I was younger, so uh, virtually none of us had Nintendos, as it were. Um, whether it was the original uh, NES or the the Super Nintendo, but um, yeah, uh, Master System and and uh, Mega Drive was something that. Um, I did play on in the early 90s and I, I did love it, but yeah. <laughs> okay. So what about arcade experiences? When was your first arcade experience? Uh, oh, gosh, it gets it, again, it gets a bit vague. I, th- I think, unfortunately for myself, arcades were something that um, didn't really happen a great deal when I was younger, not from the point of view that we weren't in places where there um, were arcades um, because I actually grew up... Um, are pretty much in sort of very coastal areas um and but it was more a money point of view so we tended to be more on the shovel penny machines but i think the first arcade machine that i'd have played would have actually been down the local fish and chip shop um i'm still racking my brains this day as to what what cabinet it was that they had in there but it was quite old so it may have been something like 
you know, Ms. Pac-Man or, um, you know, possibly something like even Space Invaders or some, some, something of that ilk. It, it certainly wasn't one of the, the latest sort of, say, for example, Irem, or, which I, I don't remember ever seeing any Irem cabinets in the UK anyway, but maybe... I wasn't looking hard enough, but um, yeah, I don't, I, it certainly wasn't the Sega cabinet. It was definitely not Outrun or anything like that. So, no. but first real experience would probably be about twelve years old. Uh, there was a uh, ten pin bowling place that opened up in the nearest town to where I used to live uh, in Barnstable, and um, and that had a um, an arcade area with uh, other games like air hockey and stuff like that, and uh, it had things like Sega Rally and Virtua Cop and. Uh, uh, Ridge Racer and so forth, and uh, those were my first proper memories of uh, playing arcades. And uh, yeah, good good memories, you know, bowling, Quasar, and and arcade cabinets, and so, all washed down with a uh, uh, junk food. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't remember so, the days of feeding Tempe into 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 arcade machines? Most of yours would have been a pound. Yeah, it would have been a lot more expensive. I seem to think it might have been about 50p ago yeah. or something like that. So, uh, but yeah, 10p. I don't even think in the early 90s when, I mean, we, I seem to remember we used to walk around arcades, but it was look, but don't touch. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, so, my, mine was yeah. mostly sort of like when we went uh, ho- uh, on holiday from where I used to live down to this end of the country. Um, mm. And we used to go into, I used to spend time in the arcades in there. So I used to take big mm. bags of 10 pence pieces with me and feed into oh. the feed into the machines then so that was the that was the space invaders and r type and all those sort of things they were all there um and funny mm. enough in the town that i used to live there was an arcade there as well um and mm. it was like one of those archetypal dark dingy smoky environments um but yeah. they had some killer machines they had some amazing yeah. stuff there yeah, you've just actually just reminded me. I think possibly that the earliest memory that I have of our case, and that, uh, this is like you say, something we have talked about, but there was a uh, multiplex cinema in High Wycombe. Now, I'm not originally uh, from the southwest of England. I'm originally from that part of the world uh, down in the southeast. And uh, and I do recall going to watch uh, Jurassic Park when it first came out, and yeah. they had a Rainbow Islands cabinet there. Yeah. And that's, we, yeah, we that, both that, played on that same cabinet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's so just nowhere spooky, accounting it? For <laughs> it really is yeah i mean the reason for playing on it was because rainbow islands was one of the first games that made me really sit up and really go wow this amiga thing is really awesome and and seeing sort of like a, a cabinet that played it i mean i i was still quite young so i probably didn't really understand that you know the rainbow one as an arcade was different to the amiga version but as far as i was concerned it was i was playing the amiga version of it because that was how how close and how good they were so uh, um but yeah it's it's such a coincidence <laughs> yeah and that's the only time i have ever seen a rainbow islands arcade was in that cinema in the in the multiplex in high wickham never, mm. never seen another yeah. one to this day not even a no, and, play expos or anything like that no. i don't think there's been a rainbow islands there um so no. yeah it's, it's no. it was very very rare at the time and you know pretty unique to have one there oh definitely and the, the fact that it was probably a good four or five years or so after that that cabinet would have been brand new as well was kind of unusual so uh I, maybe it wasn't there for much longer after i played on it i mean mm. this would have been 1993 so yeah. um and, and I, I can only place that year because obviously i remember the year that jurassic park came out so um but um 
yeah, so that was, uh, yeah, I've never seen one at a play expo either, so, which is just as well, because otherwise I would do nothing but play Rainbow Islands all weekend and go home, so. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, cool. Okay, so we have a little character um, that appears from time to time in each episode, um, and uh, he's the evil gnome. He's uh, a creation of Eric, and uh, often he, he pops in and has fiendish uh, plots and uh, things that you need to do. So the mm-hmm. evil gnome has appeared out of nowhere and traps you <laughs> in your home with the threat of a terrible virus if you go outside. How apt. You have to choose Indeed. to stay inside. However, you can only choose from 16-bit or 8-bit systems to spend your time in isolation. What do you choose? Well, the first thing I do is go north. Um, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say I've had to edit this a bit because normally Eric has this really weird twist where the evil gnome always steals your pants, and I don't think that would be appropriate in this case. <laughs> well, no, it's... <laughs> I might need a couple more beers before the gnome can do that. So, um... <laughs> um... Well, I, for me, it's it's a fairly straightforward one. It's it's going to be sixteen bit. So yeah, it would it would. As much as I, I have very happy memories of my C sixty four and and uh, you know jokes aside earlier on, you know that I, there were a few Spectrum games that I really enjoyed, like Renegade and so forth. Um, at my friend's house, uh, it's always going to be sixteen bit. You know, when you consider that you've got. Things like the the Super Nintendo, the Mega Drive, the Amiga, and you know, obviously, if we look at the, the graphics chips and the PC Engine, the sixteen bit. So let's just bring that in as well. Just oh, about that six five zero two derivative. That's stretching it. Oh, that's stretching the mark, Vicky. There, but I'll give you that yeah, one. Yeah, this... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't mention the six five zero two. I think I mentioned it once, but I think, I think I've got, got away, away with it. Okay, excellent. So you are going to choose to eradicate the whole 8-bit era then? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. okay. Sorry, Chuck Peddle. <laughs> so I think that's the first so. time I think everyone else has gone with uh, 16-bit and everyone's stuck with 8-bit. So <laughs> Maybe it says more about my age than anything. So it's not that I'm trying to score points on that either. But uh, yeah, so, um, but yeah, I guess it's, just yeah if i think about what i would be able to do with a 16 bit system versus what i do on an 8 bit it's it's no contest to me so <laughs> <laughs> okay excellent so that rounds out the quick questions i think it's probably time that we dive into a beer now mm-hmm. i've got one here uh which the guys i've sent over to the guys on the podcast before and this is mm-hmm. um i'll show you it it's can you see that yeah, wild, wild beer millionaire by the looks That's of it. it. Yep. So it is oh. a salted caramel chocolate and milk stout. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. It is. That that sounds more like a dessert. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually really really nice. So I'm just going to open this one up to try and get it into the microwave. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. And uh, very very it enticing. Out. It is. It's really Ooh. nice. This one. Yeah, I've not seen anything like that in Japan, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're quite quite um, hard to get hold of over here. It's only uh, only them, the wild beer company, that do that. So what have you got mm. there? What are you enjoying? Because I think you were a little bit ahead of me. 
Uh, unfortunately so, but don't worry, it's not going to get too messy tonight, folks. Um, so the first thing, I, this one's already been drunk. So this this one here is uh, the more expensive of the spectrum. This is Nebisu beer. Um, those uh, like me who are fans of Evangelion will know that this is the drink of choice of Misato Katsuragi. So um, it's, it's a good beer. It's, uh, I don't know, what is it, about 5% or something? Uh, yeah, five percent. So it's it, like I say, it's about three hundred yen or so a, 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 a can. So that probably works out around about mm, I don't know. Let's say two pounds. Two pounds. Um, yeah. <laughs> this this one wasn't far I, off. Just... Yeah, I think these are about three pound. This one's four point seven percent. This one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So it's not so much the, uh, the 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 price that obviously stops you drinking more than it's more the alcohol uh, content is. Uh, you wouldn't want too many of these because otherwise, again, I might go off of well, I'll cook off beer. But uh, so, and I'm now on my what's become a bit of my drink of, or beer Green choice. Label. Mm. Yeah, this it sounds very generic, doesn't it? It's yeah. almost like <laughs> Tesco value bitter. Tesco um, value bitter. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, may contain other, other supermarkets. Of beer are available yes this is it oh yeah so yeah so sainsbury's uh whatever whatatever their basics sainsbury's basics beer so or, 7-eleven uh, kmart in america yeah yeah this is it well there's plenty of 7-elevens here so but i haven't seen any of their own brand beers so oh, but right. um so this is made by kirin um so and it's four and a half percent which means that it's just a little bit less less uh uh you know you can have a few of these not to feel uh, feel too worse for the wear so yeah it's it's, it's very drinkable it's 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 a lager you know they don't tend to have much in the way of craft beers over here but certainly on stouts that i've noticed so maybe if you go into sendai or tokyo or somewhere like that you can find i i think craft beer here tends to be uh, the slightly expensive cans of Heineken and Budweiser. So. Oh right, okay, yeah, <laughs> Budweiser, <laughs> yeah, Zen Zen. <laughs> anyway, so cheers, Vicky. All the best yes. to you. Cheers, and likewise, Tim. So cheers. Yes, I'm afraid I can't crack this one open because it's already been cracked. <laughs> already been open. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's rate your beer, shall we? Mm. So, so we normally of... do it something out of something. So what what do you think you should do yours out of? Uh, let's go for a straight out of five, I think. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't want to do it like ace, you know, out of 999 or something like that. Off. Um, so I'm going to go, I'd say it's probably maybe a, a four, maybe a three and a half. It's it's oh, it's, okay. it's decent. It's, so it's, it's a not, good solid beer then, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, you can drink it. It's it's refreshing. The, the Ebisu is probably a... I would say that's probably more of a four, um, but I reserve the fives for things that I'm sad you can't really seem to get here. At least that I found is the wheat beers. So, oh, right, you know, things yeah. like it. Yeah. So that's, that's my, uh, my go-to really, but I've, I, I've had to settle for what I can get. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the, the millionaire, I think we've, uh, the, the guys and I agree, this one's a really nice smooth, smooth drink um mm-hmm. so i think i've rated it before but i'm if i'm going to go on the same scale i'm going to give this a solid four and a half out of five i think Ooh. it's a really nice beer That's, yeah. that is good yeah. yes mm, very solid okay so let's move on then so mm-hmm. uh you are now in japan um mm-hmm. do you want to just um just give us a quick run through of um i know that things were a bit hairy for you when you left the uk um to try and get to japan um so do you just want to just give us a, a little bit of a, a background of of how that all worked out in the end 
Yeah, sure. I mean, if we're going to be quick about what it is, is that uh, for the last 15 years, I've been doing a job that I hated. So I quit that. And now I'm here. Um, That's the quick version. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that makes it sound much more straightforward than uh, it was. Um, But yeah, basically, uh, two years ago, I also did wedding photography art. on top of my day job and I was just flat out exhausted and it's actually that that brought me back into um you know sort of gaming and the retro scene anyway um but uh essentially it got to the point where I just couldn't continue um doing two jobs um I loved the wedding photography uh but it just wasn't enough to pay for the upkeep of everything shall we say so Obviously, I was in a career uh, which was working at a marketing agency doing websites uh, where, for multiple reasons, it, it was never something I, I set out to do in life anyway, but I think a lot of people will identify with uh, doing a job because it keeps the wolf from the doors, you know. Keeps That's right, keep, the mortgage keeps the roof page. over your head, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is it. Uh, I, I've never been good. Well, I'm not saying that anybody is good at it, but I've, uh, I've never been good at... Uh, just going, well, I've got my own time out outside of it, and so I can just get on with it and switch off when I get home. It's Unfortunately, what I do in life is very much intrinsic to who I am. And uh, so basically, uh, 20 years ago, I, I wanted to go into teaching, but as I was saying, you know, sort of life happened and I... I had to pay bills, so um, so that didn't actually happen. Um, so I found out about opportunities to teach or assist with teaching English in Japan. I've always wanted to come to Japan. Uh, so how how did you come by that information then? Oh dear, you know, the, but the problem is, is that even though it's only two years ago, I, my, my mind goes a bit vague anyway. But I, I can definitely, I definitely remember being up in Scotland. Uh, I was doing a shoot for one of my couples, and uh, so this was like a pre-wedding session where I met the couple for the first time. Um, and um, and I do remember staying at this B and B just south of Glasgow, and I was watching quite a lot of videos on Japan. Uh, just in general, but also uh, quite a few from uh, people who have uh, come here to uh, teach English. Uh, particularly the one that stuck out to me was Chris Broad's Abroad in Japan. Um, and it was just very inspiring. Um, and so it was basically that that started me down the rabbit hole. But it, it took another year, year and a half, roughly, uh, to get me to the point of uh, actually applying for a position. So there are a number of companies, as well as the Japanese government, that uh, run these assistant uh, language tutors or teachers uh, positions, uh, basically to bring native speakers of English uh, from all around the world uh, to Japan to give a native person's uh, point of view on how to use English, rather than it just being this thing that doesn't really a, a, apply. So that's really sort of how it all came about. And, um, yeah, and then gradually since then it's been um, making it happen, really, which has been, like I say, a two-year journey. And uh, and it was almost made completely impossible by uh, the dreaded corona. So, yes. um, so, yeah, basically I was pretty much on the last flight you could get uh, out of uh well the uk uh out of london to arrive in japan before they closed the border 
<laughs> and to say that that was stressful would be to slightly downplay it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was the kind of thing that if there wasn't a global pandemic, I'd have come through those um, uh, arrival uh, gates, and I'd have probably kissed the floor. But I didn't want to get corona, so uh, so. <laughs> but yeah, I shouldn't joke about it. But you, you, no. it was it was that close it was it was about six hours or so later they closed the border to a whole bunch of countries pretty much the entire european continent so and as well as a few others so yeah it's it's a bit touch and go to say the least so it was a a, a massive relief uh to uh sit on a train and see sort of like uh chiba prefecture slowly become tokyo uh and its suburbs and just look out the window and just see my god this is happening it's yeah, it's real. You know, it was, yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was pretty delirious at the stage because I'd barely slept and, you know, I'd basically been watching old movies like Home Alone because phew, what else was there to do on a flight? So exactly, uh, you know. So I was, yeah, a bit delirious, but it was it was, good, it was a good delirious. <laughs> it's good, yeah. yeah. So you got to Japan. So your mm-hmm. first stop was actually in to- kind of on the outskirts of Tokyo. Was that right? Yeah, so I stayed in one of the um, special wards. There's, it's a bit like if you think of them as London boroughs, um, mm-hmm. you know, so that that kind of idea. So where I stayed was in one of those. So it was in Nelima, so which is uh, to the west, roughly, um, uh, maybe slightly northwest of what people would consider downtown Tokyo. So, so how so, how yeah. far away was that? Sort of like either a, a drive or a walk or a train ride. Uh, it was very much center. Yeah, I mean, you could have walked it, but you could have spent a day walking into the center and back. Yeah, so yeah. it was, it was, it was a good forty-five minutes on on the train or various trains uh, to get you into sort of some of the main sites uh, of Tokyo, sort of maybe around Dueno Park and uh, that kind of area. So, and um, um, a lot of things were closed, like the Tokyo Sky Tree, but that kind of area would have been a good forty-five maybe even an hour's train ride um, to to anywhere. So not too dissimilar to travelling into um, parts of London. If you was on in Croydon, yeah. perhaps, um, yeah. and you went yeah. on, the, on the slow boat, as it were, it would be about a similar time. <laughs> so the, the first part of the trip was almost sort of like acclimatisation, but also a bit of a pilgrimage for you as well, wasn't it? Because because of your sort of like keen interest in manga and anime art styles, um, you ended up in some of the immersed in actually some of the areas that were actually featured in some of your most favourite um, animations. Yeah, I mean, basically staying in a suburb like Nalima was somewhat predicated, obviously, on, on budgets. Uh, but, yeah, the, the, the primary reason was because it's it's a, it's a place that most people have not heard of. Um, it's a pretty um, un, unremarked neighbourhood of uh, Tokyo in itself, which uh, I, I seem to remember reading a blog which basically ostensibly rated the 23 wards or special wards of Tokyo and Nalima was number 23 not because it's a bad place it's not so, it's just a place that most people just think well why would you go there there's yeah you know yeah. The, the Ghibli Museum isn't there and so forth so why there and and the basic reason for it is is that it is actually and still is to this day a hub of the anime industry and quite a lot of mangaka which are basically manga artists are uh, 
are curiously set up there as well. I think it's sort of become, it's it's a bit like things like um, Silicon Valley and and, and its uh, little brother, the Silicon Roundabout. You know, it's basically when you get like-minded people, you know, they start to attract other like-minded people, and, and and sure enough, you end up with this industry that just ends up being. And I, I, that's the way that I've interpreted uh, what's happened there. It's because you have basically the foundations of modern anime uh, with like Toei Animation uh, and Mushi Productions. Um, obviously, Toei very famous for things such as uh, Dragon Ball and uh, Sailor Moon uh, in more recent t- recent-ish times, uh, but also uh, Mushi Productions uh, with Astro Boy um, was one of the real first sort of uh, you know, the mainstream sort of anime things that began to slightly prod at the Western consciousness of this art form as well. So, um, but it's not just served as a hub for many studios in the area, uh, but also as the backdrop to uh, many sort of uh, anime and uh, manga uh, stories. So some people say that Derimon, uh comes from Nanima. But there's also uh, things like uh, Rumiko Takahashi uh, based a lot of her uh, manga uh, in uh, Nelima, so things like Urusai Yatsura, um, and also my favourite anime, well, uh, manga. Uh, the anime is so-so, but uh, the favourite of all time, number one half. So, um, and you will often see very ordinary suburbs, um, but you can actually kind of find them in Nelima. And so, yeah, yeah, it's very much celebrated in that area. So it, it's very much a bit of a pilgrimage for me, which is uber geeky, but, you know, it, it meant one something of the, to me. One of, the <laughs> see, one of the surreal things I remember that you did was that before you left, you did a drawing of a... Um, uh, a uh, essentially like a street scene from mm. from one of one of the one of the programs mm-hmm. um and uh you were actually kind of like it almost stood in that exact same position weren't you um well, in, in real life which was well, really this, bizarre it is i mean basically this was a paper sketch that i made at a lunch break um yeah. of just a street that i found that i knew was quite close to where one of these spots that I wanted to visit was, and I, I just sketched it out because it was lunchtime and I just needed to do something that took me away from, um, you know, a day job. And uh, so, and uh, yeah, so basically I took that home that evening and I, I eventually, over a number of hours, turned it into a piece of pixel art. And then um, on the Sunday after I'd arrived, I actually wandered around to this street and there it was in real life. And I have to say that was pretty surreal to say the least it was yeah it's just like ah okay so i'm actually i mean there's nothing special about it you know it's just houses and a river and uh you know it was wasn't one of the seven wonders of the world but to me it seemed kind of special that that this connection that i'd had uh for so many years and also quite recently was finally fused together so that was that was quite quite a wonderful moment so that was brilliant that was really really good (laughs) so whilst you've been in japan you've obviously had a few experiences um of uh retro establishments over there so uh shops that you can go into um Mm -hmm. and i think you've had a a few recent pickups so do you want to just give us a quick run through of what you've managed to snaffle while you've been over there in japan so far Sure. So, I mean, like the first thing I was trying to look out for, and I've still not yet succeeded, uh, was actually a second control for my PC engine. But uh, I'd also need the multi tap as well. Multi tap as well, yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, 
Yeah, proving quite hard to track down PC Engine stuff in general, bizarrely. So um, you uh, don't see a huge amount of it, but I am living in quite a rural area, so that's to be expected, I guess. But down in Akihabara or Akiba, as uh, some people refer to it, um, uh, in some of the shops there, they did have some PC Engine stuff, and I'm kind of ruining the day that I passed up on a six-button Avenue pad, uh, which I saw no. there. But, <laughs> yeah, it was only 3,000 yen as well, which is about... Oh. It's about thirty quid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so okay. maybe I should, yeah, sh- maybe I should have pulled the trigger on that. One. But the problem was, is it was at the very beginning of the trip, and I had no idea how much everything was going to cost me. I've had to make my money last essentially two months because it's quite a wait till payday. So I thought, let's just go easy. But one of the things that I have been picking up is I picked up a Super Famicom as pretty much as soon as I could, and um, yeah, so that was that was a good uh, good buy. I got that in Sendai actually uh, after I'd finished in Tokyo, and uh, yeah, I managed to snaffle that up completely boxed, complete the whole works in pretty decent condition uh, for about thirty quid. So that's you know a that's it is a bargain, <laughs> particularly as it's boxed as well and got all the original yeah. controllers. So so that was that was the first order today, and I managed to pick up. Um, Super Street Fighter, not Super Street, sorry, Street Fighter 2 Turbo, not mm-hmm. Super Street Fighter, uh, for about eight quid boxed. Um, yeah. I managed to pick up Secret of Mana for about the same price boxed for eight quid. Uh, and also, uh, owing to my Lama One Half um, fandom, shall we say, I managed to pick up the last uh, one-on-one fight that they released, uh, Chogi Rambuhan. Uh, which uh, would have been released in certainly in the states as Hard Battle Two, uh, but it didn't actually get released. But it's actually a pretty good one-on-one fighter. And I actually picked that up for a ridiculous three pounds boxed because it's quite a rare one to come across, particularly boxed. Um, I didn't see any box copies of it in Akiba and all of the cartridges, which it's obviously going to be more expensive there. Um, yeah. But they were all going to be. 2,000 yen just for the cartridge so that was that was a good buy and since then I've just been picking up a few bits off the Yahoo auction so I could list yeah. them all off but yeah that's, that's, I've, I've got some good bargains over here shall we say <laughs> well that's good that's good Make, making the most of it <laughs> yeah definitely I mean it's great that you can walk into these they've got these places over here which uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners uh, have heard of like Hard Off and Book Off um, basically second hand stores um, they sell some super fantastically cheap stuff I mean last weekend I almost bought um, uh, a complete PlayStation uh, the original one uh, you know controller um, uh, composite cable to connect to TV and the unit no box for about two pounds um, so I know <laughs> two quid and there was stacks of them as well so yeah uh, so that that but I didn't um, don't know why I think I was just conscious of the fact that I'm beginning to build a formidable collection of stuff that i would have to move one day again one day um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not necessarily back to the uk just yet but maybe to yeah. another place in japan potentially so yeah. I, I didn't pull the trigger on that but it's it's the fact that you i mean obviously my japanese is still very 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 basic i'm a long way off of being able to play a, a jrpg uh, and really understand it but uh it's when you see things like xeno gears which is a horrifically expensive game in the west um because it was only released in the ntsc uh, U region, uh, it was never released in power territories, and I, I dread to think what they go for on eBay. But um, you know, you, you can find that in book off, and I think I paid two quid for it. So, and it's complete. <laughs> this box got the manual, um, so you know, it's it's a motivator to 
uh, learn Japanese as well, even if you're translating it line by line. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, stunning bargains over here. <laughs> Okay, so one thing we haven't really had an awful lot of time to um, uh, talk about, and I know that you, um, you know, normally when you get an interview and all that sort of thing, it's mm-hmm. all about your your pixel art and all that sort of stuff. I, mm. I wanted to go on to a different tact and talk more about games and just you and yeah, that um, sounds good. How your experiences in been in Japan. But do you just want to just give a, a very quick shout out for your YouTube channel? Because you've got a brilliant YouTube channel that you post your um, pixel art tutorials on. Um, you stream on as well. You do um, gaming streams and live um, uh, pixel art demonstrations of drawing and all that sort of stuff, which is just absolutely incredible. Um, so do you just want to give a quick shout out for your YouTube channel? Yeah, sure. I think I, I assume if you just type in Pixel Vixen YouTube, you should find me there. There are other Pixel Vixens out there. I did the classic mistake of thinking that's that's a good name. I'll use that, and then I then I googled it after I set everything up and thought, ah, okay. But yeah, so it'll be fairly obvious when you're in the right place. So, but yeah, if you just look on YouTube for Pixel Vixen, it's it's got a little P symbol, and those of you who have played Bomb Jack might recognise that as the power up symbol. So. Uh, so that's what it's most similar to. <laughs> okay, and uh, what um, what's your main what's your main part of content up there? What what do you what do you do mostly on there? Um, so it has uh, and and still will be to do with uh, pixel art. That that is really the thing uh, that I uh, contribute most. Uh, there are a few more videos now coming out about my experiences in Japan. Some of them more travel orientated. It's a bit of a mixture, but also you do occasionally get a bit about um, gaming and so forth on there. More more on the stream side, it has to be said on the game side. But I am attempting to do at least one games review each month going forward. So but yeah pixelite is the main thing that i do um there are plenty of other people who do gaming content a lot better and a lot more efficiently than i can (laughs) i don't know i I think some of your stuff is very well produced and um it's fascinating watching you do your your pixel art on there it's it's just a an amazing talent that you have and it's uh it's just a joy to to sit there and see you do that and just create something out of nothing it's it's just something that i know i could never actually do and uh i really enjoyed that channel it's very good so i would suggest that if you're not subscribing to vicky have a look on youtube um find her channel subscribe and have a watch and uh, vicky's also got a patreon so if you do enjoy watching her videos then obviously you can also uh, uh give uh, vicky some support she i'm sure she would appreciate that okay so vicky thank you very very much for your time this evening and uh, this afternoon for me (laughs) it's been an absolute pleasure (laughs) and um maybe in the in the sort of like in the next few months maybe we can have another catch up and see how things are going over there in japan um and if you've got some interesting Mm -hmm. pickups and bits and pieces or anything that you might want to cover on the podcast let us know i'm sure we can get you on again Mm mm-hmm yeah, that would be amazing. It's been a real pleasure to uh, speak with you, uh, as I say, this evening. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, yes, it's been great. Thanks. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Vicky, and we'll speak to you again soon. <laughs> Thanks again to Vicky for her time talking to us on the podcast. If you would like to follow Vicky on YouTube, you can find her channel by searching for Pixel Vixen and hit that subscribe button. If you would like to follow Vicky on Twitter, you can find her 
at La Pixel Vixen. So that's it. Until next month, take care, everyone. And if you have been, thanks for listening. All right, we are back, Eric. I'm here. Present. <laughs> Present. I didn't. Present. I wasn't taking roll call. <laughs> I am taking beer. So what are yes. we drinking next? This is another. Uh, this is another Bobby Dazzler. It's a Bobby Dazzler. This is a Bobby Dazzler. It's a chocolate oatmeal stout from Jack Rabbit Brewing Company, and this is a local Sacramento brewery in these, West Sac, to be exact. These are the same guys that made the Waffle House, the Waffle House Maple one. Yeah, I remember right. now. Right. Ooh, you made a good old noise with that one. Yeah. So you didn't hear me pour mine because I poured it correctly this time, <laughs> which means you can't hear it. That is a dark, dark beer. Yes. All right. I'm taking a little sniffy poo. Okay. Ooh. Huh. It's very, uh, very chocolatey. That's interesting. That, I remember the Waffle House being like a, a darker beer, but it didn't, again, it wasn't heavy. Right. And this is that way sweet. as well. This is yeah, that way as it, well. Yeah, it doesn't taste thick. It, um, it's very drinkable, but it is a very, very dark beer. I, I'm holding this up to the light. I can't even see yeah, you can't, through it. You can't see through it. Nope. It's like the abyss. Like your soul goes there. <laughs> Nothing escapes it. Not even light. But it, uh, it's tasty. This is very tasty. Really? <laughs> you don't like that? I'm, I love oatmeal stouts. I do too. Well, I like oatmeal stuff. I don't love them. I, I like them. Um, man, I'm getting iron. Did I say that last time when we had the Waffle House? You did, yeah. Was that the one I said? I'm getting that iron taste again. That's all I taste. It almost there must be something in the uh, something ingredient there that doesn't sit well on your palate for some reason because this just tastes like chocolate and oatmeal to me. See, I'm tasting no chocolate. I'm tasting, if I'm going to be direct, I'm tasting oatmeal and blood. This mm. is like a black pudding. This is black pudding ale is what this is. <laughs> Maybe you're a vampire. No, because otherwise I'd like it. Um, okay. Wow. So you sounds like you're not going to like it. Oh. I'm not, I'm not I'm a fan. I tried to pick a winner here. I like I liked the last beer. You picked a good one. All right. This one, yeah. All right. Do you feel well, like rating it yet, or are you going to sit with it? No, I think I can rate it. Um, you picked the you picked the uh, scale this time. All right, I'm going to pick. Um, let's go with fourteen jackrabbits. Fourteen jackrabbits, because there is a chocolate jackrabbit on the uh, front of this thing. Yep. So, rated out of fourteen jackrabbits. All right. And our scale's all over the place. Um, so it's funny because sometimes we'll give a number and one of us will be offended, but <laughs> like, it depends if I say something is, you know, around the 70% mark, does that mean it's a C or does that mean that it's above average, which would be a 50% mark? Yeah. What's, what's your scale? You know, uh, out of 14, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give it an eight, eight. So that would be about, yeah, that's, um, I would never order this. Really? Yeah. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> Just feel like I'm ins- I'm, I feel like I'm insulting you like I did last time when you're like, yeah, this is one of my favorite beers. And I'm like, nope. 
everybody's got different tastes. I mean, I don't like IPAs that much. So um, I would say at a 14, I'm going to give this an 11. All I right. love stouts and I love oatmeal stouts. And you add chocolate in there, you got a winner. There's no chocolate. It's blood. I smell <laughs> I smell and taste chocolate. I think I, I, keep, I think them hot dogs and macaroni affect each other. Um yeah, I think you might be right. My wife put uh, a little extra cheese in the mac and cheese. Yeah, it sounds all, good to me actually. Yeah, I think it might be a little off. All right. All right, cool. Well, it is time, Eric, for us to talk about six good games. Six good games. So, uh I was I, I had the concept for this six good games topic, but Tim took it home with the name, which we're actually not doing six good games, Eric. We're doing six sick games. Sick games six from California. Six. That's uh, I remember when everyone called everything sick. That's sick, dude. <laughs> sick, bro. Um, but yeah, we're actually talking about games. I'm trying. I was trying to make this pandemic related, so <laughs> in in poor taste. Six sick games. These are games that we think are good games and just happen to be on topic, which for this month is sickness. <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> we're classy like that. And I, I got to admit, when, when, when you talked about this, I thought it was going to be an easy... It, I, it I was did too. Easy to pick. And I had a very hard time picking the, the games. In fact, I played a ton of games just to pick the three that I picked. Or actually, two of these I played a lot. Yeah. Um, so it, it wasn't as easy as it sounds. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, let me go ahead and go first and get it out of the way so you can have the the grand finale. Um, okay. The first one I picked here is uh, one that I think every single person, when you say sick games or games about doctors, mm-hmm. uh, this one's on the nose, and I couldn't not pick it just because it is such a great game, and that's going to be Dr. Mario. Um, oh, okay, cool. Cause, so you're not following your list because I was like, I've never even heard of the, <laughs> this, this game, but Dr. Mario I've heard of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, And I, I happened to pick the Game Boy version, but they're all good. Um, but Dr. Mario game is a Tetris kind of falling block puzzle game uh, where you throw, he throws these pills out. You're basically looking at a long, tall, rectangular bottle, which, of course, is the shape of a Tetris playfield. And... Uh, He's dropping these pills down there, and there's two different colors to the pill. One side is, you know, one color, and the other side could be the same color or a different color. And I believe it's, like, red, blue, um, yellow, and... Is there one more color? I think there's one more color. Um, But that was on the Nintendo version. What's really cool about the Game Boy version is, first of all, I think the music is better on the Game Boy version. I love the music on the Game Boy version. And, uh... They, now that was Game Boy Color, right? Nope, Game Boy. So how did you know there were colors for the pills? Exactly. Uh, so what's crazy about it is somehow, even though there was no color, uh, here, watch this. They, they picked, in typical Nintendo fashion, they picked the perfect colors or the perfect shades that you, I don't know, you just feel like they're colors. I can't explain it better than that. Um, so here they're they like are. The, like Gr- textures. Yeah, textures. There's I guess it's it's more simple than that. It's black, white, and gray, which is really just a checkerboard pattern. 
Uh, so yeah, I guess there's only three colors. I don't. I don't think I've played this version. I've played the color version, which on whatever platform that was, maybe Game Boy Color, maybe Game Boy Color. Um, they probably released a color version. I don't think they did though. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, there's all these viruses in the bottle, and if you connect that color virus with three uh, pill halves in that same color, the viruses go away. But the brilliance of the game is that you can see right there, if you have a pill that's resting on top of a, a, um, a pile of pills and the virus gets cleared along with that whole color, then other little chunks of the pill that are of different colors now get to fall to stuff down below it. And you can do these wicked chains where, uh, you know, you kill a virus, the pills drop, that kills two more viruses, and then the pill drops horizontally connecting like two blacks on one side, two blacks on the other side, and then you have a pill in the middle and it gets rid of all five of those. And so you can make these really cool um, chains. Um, the single-player game is really good, but the if you use the Game Boy Link cable, when we did yeah. a ton of this, you can play it versus each other, and that's hilarious. It's just a blast. I, it's, I like how there's a picture of Mario. Just He hands out what the next pill is going to be. Like Tetris, you see the next block. Yep. Like with Dr. Mario, like this Mario that just hands out. Like I like the animation of him just handing over the pill. Just chucking them out there. Funny. And um, sick game, bro. Sick. This game is sick. Um, How yeah, the so virus I, get in the bottle, though, I, dude? Bro, why is there virus in the bottle? <laughs> it's, I think this is a vaccine. They're making a vaccine. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I played probably more of this than I ever played Tetris. To be completely honest with you, I, oh, cool. I, I played the crap out of this game, and I also got this game when I was sick in the hospital. <laughs> really that's when, that's when i got it so it's kind of a twofer for me yeah um, i got this game and i got we we talked about it before but i got i got this game and i got final fantasy Adva- or what was it called um final fantasy adventure and so i played those two games back and forth for in the hospital for a couple days and then years after that so um yeah it was really cool all right that's it next cool the next do, one do, is do, a do, game do, I, do, ne- do. I never the music's played great. before. <laughs> okay. Yeah, oh, the music great is... Wait, wait, go, let's go back. Dr. Mario, the music's great? Yeah, yeah. For the Game um, Boy version. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even mean to, but I'm already singing. <laughs> and you can choose the different song. There's like three different songs you can choose from, but that's it. Anyways. So kind of like Tetris. Yeah. Yeah, and that's also got pretty good music, too. So Yeah. So the, the game first pick, game I picked, I had never played before, and I found it seeking out games about sickness, and it's called, which I love the name, Poochie Poochie Virus. Oh, sick. <laughs> that is sick. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, that's sick. And it's, it, this is a DS game, and the goal of the game is to these random viruses appear on the screen, you might want to pull it up so that it's probably oh. going to be easier to explain. Sorry, um, pull some poochie poochie. So there's there's a the DS is obviously a clamshell device. You open it up, and on the bottom is the touchscreen, and that's where the play surface is. And when you open it up, you see all these little viruses. And the goal is to create geometric shapes, link them. If you link the I guess the vaccine ones in a geometric shape and encompass the virus, then you can eliminate the virus that way. And what's interesting about this game is there are, you do not use the buttons in any way. It's all touch screen. All touch screen. 
So I pulled my pen out and I'm sitting here trying to play this game and I'm doing horribly at it. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is, I, I mean, I'm like I, half of my touches don't respond on the DS. And so I'm doing really poorly. So like I started using my finger on the touchscreen and started doing a lot better. Um, but basically you just create little geometric shapes and you can create what are called chains. So if you, make a geometric shape and then you immediately make a second one that encompasses the first one in any area. Okay. You do what's called a chain and it's like a chain reaction. You get a lot more points and it clears a lot more of the virus off the screen. So huh. what you're seeing here is just the demo. So I don't yeah. know if you, I'm having a hard time uh, finding actual gameplay, but I do want to point out, I feel very generous right now because I've clicked on this video twice now. Yeah. And this video has been up for, for, it's almost been up for a year, and th- I am the second viewer of this video in a year. <laughs> so I am help. I don't think a lot of people have been clamoring for Poochie Poochie virus videos, but... Oh, man. Um, let me try the trailer and see if that shows us a little more here. There's not much on this one. Okay. So uh, I, I played this for maybe about two hours, and I had a lot of fun with it once I figured out that I had to use the touchscreen. I didn't want to use the pen. Um, and I got to, like, level eight or nine on this. Um, there we go. That's a much better picture. So you can see you just create like a triangle mm-hmm. and you, you basically have to take just light colored ones, and, but you're supposed to encompass the virus in those. And so you can see that the health time, of the guy. It's time-based, Eric. There's a, down, a countdown timer. How are you handling there, this game? There is a countdown timer. I, that's, that's definitely true. So anyway, it's worth worth trying out, especially if you have a flash card. I don't know. I think this is Japan, Japanese only. I don't think this came out in the U S it's got, it's in English. It it is in English. So, I mean, you, you'll be able to play it and everything. And maybe this did come out and I just missed it, but I didn't see anything like that, man. It actually, I'm going to see, I'm going to be honest. It looks really cool. I, I really do want to play this. I love, I love puzzle games, but so many of them are just the same, you know, variations on the same game. So seeing a new one like this, I really want to try it. It, I, I mean, I'm probably describing it very poorly. This is the kind of game that's very hard to explain. Yeah, um, I, no, I, I gotcha. It's a good one. The only mechanic that might be a little tough is the touchscreen. If you have a problem with the touchscreen or you, it's not accurate for some reason, it can get very frustrating. I'm, I'm surprised. Well, maybe because it didn't do well. This should be a, make a perfect uh, like tablet game or mobile phone game. It, 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 absolutely. It definitely would. So I just clicked on some more clickbait here, and now I'm looking at an uh, amazing game I've never played, and I keep forgetting to try it, but it is Dr. Mario 64 on the Nintendo 64. Yeah. Uh, we are going to have to play this, because it's, yeah, it looks almost like Puzzle Fighter, where it's player versus player Dr. Mario. Yeah. It looks really good. <laughs> it does look good. I also want to point out, there was also one that came out on the Wii that's supposed to, a lot of people say is the best Dr. Mario, and I think it's specific. It has, also has a mode with Luigi. It's like Dr. Luigi. Huh. Um. Anyways, all right. Next game. What? What is my next sick game? My I next think it's sick the one game. I'm interested in hearing. Uh, I'm gonna save that one. I think you're interested in hearing. <laughs> okay. My next one is my my second most on the nose game, and uh, that is the game Pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> which you know this game, Eric. I do know this game. So I I made a joke of it last time. This is a board game, but it's been ported to many different systems at this point. And it yeah. is a great game. Um, so let's just get the video game part out of the way. You can play this. I think they have a, a iOS version, Android version. You can download it now on, uh, I believe, Xbox. I think PlayStation has a version now. 
Um, I don't think Switch has anything yet, but so lots of different ways to play it. Definitely Steam, uh, and it's you know a, a much easier to play because they do all the hard work for you. Uh, board game representation. Um, now the board game. So essentially, Pandemic is a map of the world, mm-hmm. and it's a co-op game. So you and up to three other players um, have different characters. You each have your own character. And you're essentially flying all over the, the map trying to get to different major cities where outbreaks are starting to happen for um, up to four different viruses. And you're basically running around trying to... Uh, e- there's different m- moves you can do, and I'm not going to get into all the detail, but basically you can either help eliminate you know cases of the virus, help treat, treat patients, or else you can work on finding a cure, or else you can take research you've done and try to fly it uh, over to another um, location where you meet up with another one of your, you know, fellow players, and trade that information to them. Because if you get like four, three or four pieces of information, you can take that and then take it to a lab and create the cure. And then once the cure you create the cure, you can you can get rid of a virus. But every time you do a turn, which you get three turns, uh, three moves per turn, um, you can only do so many things. So you're trying to be as efficient as possible keeping the virus from taking over while at the same time trying to cure everything and the longer you take the more rapid things are happening there's mechanics in there where uh the virus spreads quicker and quicker um and there's you know it's all done with cards on the actual game so of course in the in the the uh, video game representation that stuff's done for you uh, but basically you're trying to on normal mode it doesn't go as quickly and you can try to keep up with it uh, by the time you are in the extremely hard difficulties um, you know you're going to be thinking for minutes on every turn trying to make sure you maximize your efficiency so that you can kill this thing before it takes over the world and infects everybody and, and what, I, a, what a wonderfully yeah. joyous game to talk about right now Eric and I, I mean I love that the the two things I love about the game is that it is co-op. So it's just fun when you are with your family and you, you have a great co-op game where you all just are working against the, 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 the game itself. Um, but the second thing I love about the game is that it it's challenging. I mean, I think in the, all the games we've played here at my house, I think we've only won two or three times. I mean, I think yeah. we've lost way more than we've won on the normal difficulty. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, I want to say I've probably I've only probably played it six times, and I think we've won twice. And and you can adjust the difficulty by take the, you take out cards, right? I mean, there are certain yeah, there's different things you can do in there. Yep, yep. I think we actually won mean, three you... times, but we found out without meaning to we did something wrong, and we j- basically cheated for one of them. Yeah, <laughs> which is the beauty of board gaming. So if you play the uh, the uh, video game version, that can't happen. But so, what do you have this video game version? What do you have this on the so I, iOS or something? I have it on Steam, actually. Steam, okay. I have it on Steam. Yep. Yeah. And then they actually came out with other versions of the board game, which are not on video games yet. But there, um, they made uh, games called Pandemic Legacy, and there's some other games called Legacy. Have you heard of those? I have. I've, those I've Legacy seen games. Them. I don't have them, but yeah. Yeah, I don't. Uh, it's something that I don't agree or not agree with, but I don't enjoy. But these legacy games became huge, and it started with Pandemic Legacy. And essentially, it's a game where it comes with a storybook, kind of, in there, a campaign book, if you will. Okay. And you and your cooperative players 
you know, it's almost like Dungeons and Dragons where you're like, all right, this, it's a 20 game campaign and you guys, you play through all the games. So there's a little story, you set up the characters and everything in one direction and then you play the game. And then regardless of what the outcome is, you move on to the next game and the next game will be like, all right, in your last game, did this person, you know, did these guys survive? Did this victory scenario happen or did it fail? And yeah. the story progresses based on what you did. Um, but part of it is these legacy games is, all right, you you did this and you did this, so you get to add this card to your deck, but this thing failed, which means this person no longer is in play. Tear the card up. Like, you physically destroy that part of the game. Like, you cannot, like, it's gone. It's real, you know? Gotcha. And a lot of so people really like, love like that. The, the war games. The war games were campaigns within the war. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you failed a battle, you didn't get certain resources. So you didn't get five extra tanks. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, yeah. You, you, you basically kind of hosed yourself, so you got to... But one step further, because you physically destroy that part of your game, so you cannot play this game from the beginning again. Ever you, again? Correct. You physically tear the card up. Oh, see, I don't, I don't approve of that. And that's people are loving it, because it, I guess it makes it real and makes it... You, you can't just redo the game because you physically lost that card. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. That's, <laughs> yeah, but people love it. It became huge. I want to play. I want to be Doctor Fauci in the next game. Doctor Fauci. <laughs> you be Burke. I'll be Fauci. All right, I'll keep that in mind. You got a trombone. You can't hear it, but you're getting a trombone. <laughs> oh, that's fine. <laughs> All right, what's your next game, Eric? What's your next sick game? So this one I found, and I love it. And speaking of board games, it's, it kind of reminds me of a board game. Um, it's called Infection. Infection. On the Amiga. And this one, I, so I, I dug deep on this game. It started its life as a public domain game. Ooh. And then um, Mastertronic, Virgin Mastertronic, bought the game, the rights to the game, and added music and like a bunch of enhancements. And then they sold it. And I, it, from what I heard, it did pretty well. So it started life as a public domain, moved into to a Mastertronic game. Basically, you are trying to infect the board. So you, it's almost like a board game. You jump a piece. You can see like you see how you move the red into that zone, and then it infected all the other things around it. Yeah, it's almost and like Othello. It's, it's a lot like Othello or even Go. Um, but I found the game to be pretty deep. And, and one thing that Mastertronic did is they added better AI so that because um, I guess people were complaining it was too easy. Okay. Um, and I played this. I, I, I got kind of hooked on this game because at first it was, seemed simple. And I was like, oh, this case seems kind of dumb. And then I got into it and got into it. And I ended up playing it for like two and a half hours. Oh, really? And, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a blast. It's, it's a blast. And you can shuffle the game to like block off certain parts of the screen. It's multiplayer. So you can, ha you can play Ooh, up to four colors. Player. <clears throat> yep. um, basically you just it's a it's about trying to infect the board and the one thing you're not getting on the maybe you are getting on the video but but i'm not here the sound effects are very infection infection e i guess what does an infection I, sound like eric it goes squawk, squawk, and they're like <laughs> kind of infected <laughs> that's a sound bite hold on what time is it <laughs> we're saving that you're gonna right. extract that i'm gonna extract that sound bite yeah all right, continue. Make more infection noises if you would like. So, <laughs> I'm going to pass. Um, but uh, that's it. So, you, bas you, you basically take your pieces, you move them into unoccupied squares, 
any surrounding square that has a different color gets infected and changed to your color. Um, and you just keep, and then, then it's the next player's turn. And they try to do the same, and your goal is to infect the whole screen. Yeah, very it simple, really, very looks, simple concept, but it's a blast. I was playing it over and over again. I love it. And it's an easy Amiga game. It'll play on anything. It's a very basic game. Yeah, it does look good. It actually looks, uh, with all the four players, it lo- looks almost like uh, Blockus. Yeah. You know Blockus? <laughs> I do. Yeah. All right, my last game, I'm going to go ahead and do a drum roll here because it's my last game. It's on the Macintosh, and that is Life and Death. And I haven't heard of this, so I'm interested in hearing what you got to say. So I want to make sure I pull a video of uh, of the version I'm used to, okay. which Macintosh, let's see, Macintosh Plus. So that's what I grew up on. Yeah. Uh, Life and Death. Now, this game is on the Amiga. I've, I, I've, I've seen it. In fact, there it is in a color that looks like um, colors that looks like DOS. Um, do they have on Macintosh? All right, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to look at this one, even though the colors are wrong. Whatever. Um, man, I remember that. There it is. So I remember this game when it starts up. You see the uh, these two feet sticking out of the like a, a dead body sticking tag. out of a bag with yeah. a toe tag. 1988 software tools works. Software Tool Works is the name of the company, uh, and I remember this this screen. You hear that dun 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 dun. It's really dark. <laughs> the death and this, dirge. Yeah, and for the longest time, I couldn't get myself to play this game because it creeped me out. But my mom would play it, and uh, she kind of taught us a few things about it. So basically, I'm just going to go to some still shots. You basically start off as like a brand new doctor. <laughs> oh and, man! And uh, and you. You start by going to. You can see here. You look. You look like you're at the. Um, you're you're in the in a hospital and you're at the nurse's desk and they're like, hey, you have a patient in room four or the phone will ring and you'll answer the phone. They'll be like, hey, your class starts in five minutes. So you're looking down this hall and you can go to, to class to learn basically how to do surgeries, which you're about to do oh, that man. day. <laughs> <laughs> or else there's the OR over here and then there's patient rooms. Uh, one, two, three, four, four patient rooms down here. Uh, so you. You learn about it. You end up in a uh, a patient room, in which the patient here is sitting in bed, and he's got a tab, you know, a board on his um, on his bed with information about himself. And uh, let me see if you can see that that board. Um, here you go. So it says some information. Patient is a 59 year old male, admitted complaining of acute abdominal pain, accompanied with nausea, cramping, and it gives you all these things. And you can go ahead and click uh, if you want to do an X-ray, if you're going to mark him down to observe him, if you want to medicate the guy, uh, <laughs> or straight up operate him. And then you click initial and it makes this big ugly scratch because you know doctors can't sign signatures. Um, and then you can also. <laughs> I mean, it's tasteful. You can also have them lift up their gown. You see their belly, and you can poke around with the pointer, like you're pushing around their belly. And depending on where it hurts, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've I've never gotten past the first operation. Don't get me wrong. I've never made a, par- a patient survive one of my operations in this game. Uh, but you poke around on their belly, and he's you know, if they hurt in the right spot, you're like, all right, open the open the operating room. We're going in. You have a you have appendicitis. Wow. And uh, you can call people, you can call cardiology, you can see here. Anyways, so you go to the operating room, and sure enough, here's a belly, here's your tools. I mean, it's especially for like 1988, it's pretty realistic. Yeah, I mean, the graphics are pretty high res, I mean, you can <laughs> tell what it is. 
and you straight up, uh, you know, you have to put your uh, the alcohol on it and wipe it clean first, and then you get to make your incision. Um, oh, that's him. that's the al- alcohol wipe there. You have to al- you know wipe the whole. There's the incision, and Ooh. then after you make an incision, see those little red dots. Big incision for a right? So you make that incision. It's got to go completely diagonal. If you make it jagged, the patient dies. <laughs> And then uh, these little red dots start, and that's the blood coming out, and so you have to cauterize it. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot to it. And you eventually you open it up, and you get to the fat layer. <laughs> and then you have to cut through the fat layer and cauterize again, and then eventually you get all the way down to where you, where you see, there you go, there's, there's them intestines. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's pretty graphic. Yeah. Uh, here's the appendix. I, I've never got this far. My patients have always died. Um, I think my mom actually made it through this part, and then you do everything in reverse and sew them back up. And the funny thing is, an appendectomy is a pretty routine uh, surgery. Yeah. <laughs> so if you watch that, you're kind of like, well, maybe yep. you shouldn't be a doctor. <laughs> Stitch them up, and then yeah. uh, and then my mom, like I said, my mom got after you do the appendectomy, you graduate to the next surgery, which I forget what it is, but I think eventually gets to a heart and then a brain surgery. Um, that's a and lot can, of stitches for an appendectomy. Oof. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Or, or it's really great is if you start cutting right away, uh, they'll be like, your patient screams because you have not turned on the uh, anesthesia. <laughs> yeah, it's, you want to do that. It's terrible. And the best part about it is back when I played this game, I had mouse with a rolly ball. And yeah. of course, that rolly ball had crap built up on it. So I would try to cut a straight line and hit you know one of those chunks of crap and make this big old jagged zigzag all of a sudden. Oh, man. I am going to go back and play this thing. I'm going to play it in color. <laughs> now that I've got these uh, classic Macs over here, some like the LC2 can play this game. They don't uh, show or, like ding-dongs and... In, in, uh, no, no, no Hostess products at all. Okay. Or, or Mars. Whatchamacallit is a Mars product. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, that's, that's the game. It's it's dark and real and and exciting. I don't know. Exciting! Oh, I thought I, I thought you were going to pick microsurgeon for sure, like the Intellivision microsurgeon. Uh, we've already covered it, but otherwise yeah. I would. But otherwise I would have. That was a fun game too. <laughs> well, it looks cool. I like. I, I have a Macintosh uh, Plus in my garage that it works and it works yep. great. I should well, try that, to dig this game up. They have an Amiga version too. So, actually, you know what? I have a Macintosh Classic. So if this ran, it would be black and white, right? I mean, that's what I grew up on, though. I grew up okay. on the, and it still creeped me out. So, okay, yeah, no, I might dig this up then. That looks interesting. <laughs> or, I'll, or maybe I'll just pop, pop up the Amiga version. That might be a better yeah. Way, way to play. Yeah. In fact, here I, I found another <laughs> video. Ooh, this is more realistic. Look at this one. This is Life or oh, Death yeah. Two aneurysm. Ugh. <laughs> oh, we're going in the head. Okay, this is getting weird. Ah, stuff's happening. Okay. Move on quick, Eric, before I click on anything else. <laughs> Life and Death 2, Revenge of the Aneurysm. Oh, jeez. Yeah, don't touch uh, that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Next. It's all blood and guts. Oh, pixely blood and guts. All right. So I picked this next one because when you talk about being dead on, like, too much on the nose, <laughs> when this pandemic started, I was like, this is the division. This is the video game, The Division. And this is exactly what The Division is about. So a plague like hits New York City and 
it, it gets much worse than it is right now. But like the, the, really? city, <laughs> the city divides into factions and things like that. And you are a soldier that is just going down the street trying to keep the peace. And you're trying to you're part of a special forces team that's trying to put together what happened because they don't know where the plague started or, or who's responsible for it. Um, so this is not a first person shooter. This is an over the shoulder kind of deal. And you basically go through the town and you can upgrade your weapons. Um, you can, it's, it's, it's pretty much an RPG slash action shooter, shooter game. And you have to be cognizant of areas that are high with high contagions. So you have to have a filtration system. So you basically like now, you know how now you have to wear a mask to go in <laughs> to stores and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this one, in, when you go into certain areas of, of the city, you have to wear like bio level three face mask. Now this has been a while since I played this game. I got, I had this on, uh, on the Xbox. Um, but I did beat this game. I got all the way through it. Um, I loved it. It is a, it, it's a fun game. I mean, it is the action in it is, is, um, exhilarating. It's a lot of fun. All the weapon upgrades are really cool. All the technology in the game is a lot of fun. Um, but the game is really bleak. Um, when you're walking around this town and it's desolate, certain areas are desolate because people are sick and huddled in their apartments. You get the feeling like, oh, crap, what's happened here? I mean, there are pertin- there's trash in the streets. So um, when you play this game, you start to see parallels drawn to what's going on today. I mean, not as exaggerated as it is today, but um, it's, it's, pretty, it, it, it's pretty scary, the parallels that you can draw. Like, th- is this what's going to happen? <laughs> I mean, are we going to be living the division in a, in a while if this thing spreads like it is? And then you hear the governor say a thing or two, and you're like, wait, that's happening. It's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, it, so that's why I picked this one. I know it's not a retro game, but I had to pick this because it is on the nose. Like when I was when I, when I was back playing this, I was like, oh, this could never happen. This isn't going to happen. And then as this pandemic's going and going and so many, the, the, it's spreading to so many So many people, parallels, like, yeah. Like, you know, being the food shortages and like toilet paper shortages in this game, all that kind of stuff happens. You have to, you have to, in this game, you have to like assist like goods coming in and stuff. Like it's real, like people are hungry and you have to like escort food convoys and stuff. Level one was you had to like battle off a horde of people trying to get toilet paper out of a Costco. That's right. A bunch of Karens. You're battling Karens. But, not Karen. Uh, Can I talk to your store manager? Stop being such a Karen. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, not retro and not retro inspired. If I had my, my no. siren, I'd, I'd call the retro police on you, but, um, my siren is gone. Just the retro. We're, we're, we cover all genre, all generations <laughs> of video games. No, I have no problem with it. It's a. It looks. Have you? You've never played very in depth. Right? No, I've never even heard of it or seen it. I've heard oh, the name, it, but yeah. And there's a division two, which I haven't played. I haven't even purchased, but um, I loved this game. Like I said, I beat it, and my son played this game. Um, you it, it, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a great game. I mean, it's a blast. Yeah, look at this right now. There, the guy here is in a uh, looks like a arena turned into a field hospital. Yep, which is what's <laughs> Ooh, happening. That sounds, that sounds familiar. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Well, that's six good games, Eric. Yeah, and that's. Oh no, I'm sorry. That was not. That was six sick games. 
Six sick games. Sick games. And that's an episode of Pixel Guide in. Episode 34 in the books. Yeah. Uh, we're about to start recording episode 35 here, but you guys can hear it in about two weeks. Should be coming out on the 30th of whatever month this is. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we're going to go ahead and get our boy Tim from across the pond on the blower and, uh, talk a battle of the systems. We're going to catch up with all our, our, we have, we have a lot to catch up on there. We, I don't know about you, but large number of cool things happened in our lives, video game related. So, um, what was the battle about again? I'm trying to remember. It was a good one. Oh, it was the action RPG battle. Yeah. So we did uh, Govelius on the Master System versus Valley of Doom. That's right, Govelius Valley battle, of Doom. Valley of Doom. That's what its like little subtitle is. Uh, versus Newtopia Two. Yep. On the Turbo Graphics slash PC Engine, whatever you want to call it, and it's our battle of action RPGs on eight bit systems that aren't Zelda. <laughs> Zelda. <laughs> cool. All right, Eric. Well, I guess that's about all of it. Did you finish your beer? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, no, not quite. Close. Yeah, my, yeah. We're, we're about the same. Yep. See, don't pretend like you like it. You didn't finish your beer. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I really right. do. This jam. I mean, in winter, this is what I drink. Yeah. Yeah. I like the style. Just this particular one. Just... Yeah. Anyways. Right on. You know what, Eric? Yeah. It's dangerous, it's dangerous to go, go alone. alone. Thank you again for listening. You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. And you can also follow Eric at the project. That's D-U-H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at oddball49. That's O-D-D-B-A-1-1-4-9. You can reach Tim Drew as well on Twitter at Sanction, that's S-A-N-X-I-O-N. If you are interested in supporting the show financially, please join us at our Patreon account, that's patreon.com forward slash pixel guide in. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input, so hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com.